caboose. That's a lot of pressure. It's still a ticking time bomb. Yeah. But he's able to make that tractor last longer than some of these guys over uh, east of the country that are pushing those big high 350 PSI pressures. A week ago, I think, put some new liners in it this week. But, I mean, for a super, he has not unzipped it much this season. He explained it to me one night, how he's able to make it work with the turbo pressures. He's running three turbos, I think. And he lost me about halfway through it, but it sounded really interesting, and he knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, He's doing some unique things. He's running four turbos. Okay, four turbos. Four AJ Eilert. No, this is Craig McElfresh, 8 Envy, out of Rushville, Missouri. This is the only one with a Duramax motor. Everything else has been Cummins up to this point. Good running V8 Chevrolet Duramax. Was turning a lot of RPM at mid-track. Well, he's letting the Dodge boys know he's here. I'm I'm tickled to see him getting smooth runs out of it. The first two or three were lucky. I thought we we're going to lose drive lines and all kinds of things. Okay, our second to last puller, AJ Eilert. I forgot to announce his distance. Sorry, AJ. The Browns Creek Bullet out of Cocker, Kansas, goes two seventy six. And our last puller with the Duramax, Craig McElfresh, went 8Envy, the vehicle name, out of Rushville, Missouri, goes 291. So I'll get your top five here for you. Then I have two 3.6 diesel trucks, which are going to be a bigger turbocharger, cut tires. We'll get into that in a little bit. And then Fred's going to take over for the Modifieds. He's got a tractor in that class. So Megatron's going to take the win here today in our 3.0 limited pro stock diesel truck class. He is the title sponsor of the class, and he is today's winner. At 305.88. So this is Taylor Van Beek. Hoffman almost sled wire to wire. Going to come in second at 295.61. Dan- this is Taylor Van Beek's uh, diesel super stock. Extreme pleasure. He's also the owner of Extreme Performance Entire Time. Taylor is going to be joining us here tonight. So this is his run from Saturday night in Windsor, Colorado at the Rocky Mountain Nationals Truck and Tractor Pool. Video courtesy of TV. We had Taylor on and then his internet was crappy. So he's trying to jump on on his phone right now. Pleasure out of Rock Valley, Iowa. Things got a little warm there, Taylor. Yeah, they did. <laughs> did it, what did happen that night? You're, I muted the sound on the video so we can talk. So, uh, so that night we actually ended up taking the number three piston out. Just one piston. Yep. Well, the fire was pretty legit for just one piston, Taylor. So That's kind of what I thought, too. I was very surprised when I took that motor apart and... Uh, Took, dropped the pan, and I knew we had a problem then and there. Um, didn't show much in the filter, but when I dropped the pan, there was probably a two-inch by three-inch piece of aluminum sitting in there. And I thought, uh-oh, this ain't going to be good. Right. And we pulled the head off, and 
All the pistons look good except for number three was completely gone. Yep. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, welcome everybody. Let's go pulling live Monday, October 17th. Taylor Van Beek with us. We are talking, uh, we're going to talk about Taylor's business, extreme performance and tire cutting. We'll talk about truck and tractor pulling, obviously. Talk Touch on the outlaws as well. Taylor, welcome to Let's Grow Pulling. Uh, our guest, our host, Charles Posh, Cody Vanderholm. You heard of the Cody before, Taylor? You ever seen him? Taylor, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yep, Cody Vanderholm. Yep. And then Ryan Rusink, he's flashing on and off on us here a little bit. So uh, Morgan Schulte is watching from his Xbox tonight. So awesome. Thanks for doing that. Let us, let us know where you're watching from tonight. Um, it was fun to go out to uh, Meadow, South Dakota. And for Mark Ulmer's 65th uh, birthday party out there. So that was pretty neat. So that was pretty fun. Good time. Taylor, how long have you been pulling? How what's your pulling story? How did it get started? So I started tractor pulling, I was probably sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade. Um, started pulling farm stock with a 856 and did that for quite a few years. And then at that point in time, my brother was pulling an open farm 3000 um, RPM class, and he was getting to, I would say 16, 17 is when he first started driving the Black Extreme Pleasure, and that was a super farm back in the day, and it was only a 570 cubic inch. We ran with the Great Plains mostly, and then we'd always go to the Iowa State Fair. You had to do that and hinting some of these closer outlaw poles, and then he started kind of taking the reins of that tractor. And I was still kind of pulling back in the stock days, watching him. I would pull some Nebraska bush because at that point in time, they would run 82 and 9,200 pounds. So I would get to pull the 82 and he would do the 92. That probably only happened two or three times that summer before he passed away at the Iowa State Fair. So then at that point in time, uh, I've driven the tractor my first pull would have been Wayne, Nebraska, and then I pulled in Sibley, Iowa, and Hudson, South Dakota. So I pulled three times before he passed away, and then uh, once he passed away, then I kind of hopped on it, and we finished out the season, I believe. We pulled in Dell Rapids that year. That was probably the only time that we hooked after that, and Rock Valley. We had a late August pull there as well, too, with Rally in the Valley. And then the next year, I kind of got my feet wet, and that tractor just kind of got my hands on it. It was still a 570. And then that, uh, so that would have been in 2007. And then 2008 is when we really upgraded the program. And uh, came out, won Gordyville, won DeCoin, won the Outlaw Points Championship, and then followed it up with a Tomo win. And, uh, yeah, that's when my Super Farm career really started taking off. What year was that then, Taylor, again? I'm looking for some pictures of it. 2008, yeah. 2008. So we started the 2008 season off, and it was kind of – it was weird because, you know, we, we we pulled in Great Plains, and there was a lot of super farms in Great Plains. I mean, I could go through um, where Barry Peterson's tractor now, that was uh, Blanken Sports tractor, Randy. Uh, you had Pete Hargdorn with uh, a John Deere. You had Red Rock, me. Um, God, I'm going to forget a bunch of them now. Uh, there's um, not sure if Lee and Lee Blanksport was a Foxy Farm Mall. That might have been a super farm at that point in time. 
and then you had Mark Gerard, Tom Orr. We probably had about eight or nine of us that would be in that circuit that were all very competitive. Wolf Winkles were kind of in there at that point in time. Okay. So actually, we probably in that area, this that would have been Oskaloosa right there, that video you were showing. Yeah, so turn the volume down while we can play. So. Yeah, 2008 would have been the year that I, I uh, did my first full year circuit with the Outlaws. And it was kind of weird. Like I said, we dropped the tractor off at Joe Bush and picked it up. And we went out to Gordyville. And I ended up beating Fear of the Deer that year. And that was the point in time where he was kind of on top. You know, he, he was pretty much the hardest super farm to beat. So I was kind of just like, oh, I got lucky, you know something happened and then all of a sudden we started off with the outlaw circuit i think i won the first six hooks and they actually came into rock valley and were ready to protest me because i just <laughs> was on a roll i mean that tractor for some reason joe had that thing set up on on the bottom end of torque it, it you couldn't kill it i would bring it down to 13 1400 rpms and it would just live in there and uh if wow. we get our gear set up it was unbeatable now, obviously, the super farms the way they run now, you'd never be able to do it. But with that little GT42, we just had an awesome setup with that. No, that's awesome. This would have been Gordyville then. Yep. 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 This is some video I found on your Facebook page. Uh, Omer says, wasn't there a Massey from Bearsford? Is that South Dakota? Uh, that would have been, uh, Kyle, what was his name, Mark? It was that V8, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Bruce, do you know? You had Mark Gerard. Nope. There was a V8. You're, you're correct. There was a Massey. Who was that? Yeah. No. Alan Olmer says, "Yep, it was a V8." Yeah, it was a V8. Um, God, who was that again? <clears throat> I'm trying to remember now. There also was another one. Yeah. And then, yeah, obviously, you always had. Uh, at that point in time, Alan Andrews would pop in with uh, Predator, which is now Bruley, uh, that Bob Andrews and um, uh, Lauren, I believe, um, owned at that point in time. So, yeah, we had a bunch of good Great Plains guys that actually jumped up into the Outlaws. Is that association still yeah. around? Yeah, uh, it dwindled down. I mean, obviously, the Outlaws growing some more events in here, you know, Rock Valley and... Uh, now we grab Lamar's and stuff. Some of these bigger events, we started really, you might say, not hurting them, but uh, a lot of the events that they had, they either faded away um, or a lot of their crowd just goes to the Rock Valley show, which obviously hurts them, you know. But, yeah, they I would think they have seven or eight events still, um, but not compared to uh, probably 20 what they had 10 years ago. That's Toma, big guy. Yep, that's my Toma in there. That's a funny story because in Toma, that was in 2009. Leonard, you're right, Alan. 2009, it was me and Norm Cavan and Denny Healy in the pull-off. And Denny was the first one to go, and he went out at like 267. Cribals, yep, there you go, Kurt. So Denny went out at like 267 on the ambush. Norm Cavan went out like at 282 and change. And then I pulled, and I went like 282 and some change, but... I, for some reason, I didn't even think I was close to Norm. They didn't move the leader flag. So at this point in time, when I get down pulling in Toma, 
you're in that staging area. They pull you off to the left, and I see Danny go, and I knew I beat him, and I'm waiting for them to hook me up. And all of a sudden, they pull Norm Cavan and the Magnet Force out, and me and Dad kind of both look at each other, and we're like, because we both thought we got second. And all of a sudden, they bring us out there, and here we ended up winning. We we thought we ended up getting second. We thought Norm beat us by 10 foot or so because we just read the distance wrong or looking at that leader flag. So that was like one of the wins where I was just happy to be in the top three because that was so young in my career. And probably my biggest win there was, yeah, that, that night in Toma. Well, that there's probably 50 tractors in your class, right? 54. Um, <laughs> so I was – I was 27th hook. I was right in the middle, and they were taking the top three into the pull-off, and I was in third position when I got done pulling, so I had to watch 26 more come right after me, and literally it just seemed like I was like every single one. Like uh, Poppy, he was running very good at that time, that untamed deer, and uh, I believe there was Mr. Bowen, and you had all them Wolverine deer. I mean, they were all there, and them UPM guys ran good at that point in time. We ran a lot with them for a while and you get to know them and they all ran good and you just sit back there and it just seemed like 20 of them were going to go past you and we just barely snuck in there so that was a pretty cool win for us in toma there that's awesome colin burkle says those were the good old days when the outlaw super farms would invade toma and make the class even more huge so if you just join us taylor van beek yeah. owner of extreme yeah we bring a crew go ahead taylor sorry bud no, I'd say we'd bring a pretty good group of uh, super farms. I mean, obviously me and Red Rock would go and you'd get Norm and Chad Weisenkamp and we'd bring uh, uh, quite a few of them guys down there. And actually, Pedleys, you know, they always pulled Great Plains with us too. They started off in the uh, Great Plains uh, organization. So, I mean, we just had a bunch of super farms that were pretty tough and just a good group to get along with. Uh, any Louisville success with the uh, super farm? I see this picture's obviously That's from Louisville. I have never driven a tractor off of the track in Louisville, <laughs> so no. <laughs> no, but they've we've pulled, always had nobody mechanical has. issues. Nobody yeah, has. Taylor. That's they true. Yeah. Off there, we've always had. Yeah, uh, let's just say it wouldn't start if. <laughs> Sorry. Now this might be my first year here, and then uh, at this one, we had to go to Kansas City the next day. And we ended up taking out, the, I believe that was a head gasket and a couple of lifters that ended up going at the end of the run there. That would have been the first year I ever pulled in Louisville. Okay. And that would have been in 2009. All right. So when did the transition yep. to 4-1 happen and then, then the transition to diesel super? Let's go through that. So the super farm... Um, you know, we had a lot of success in that class and loved pulling against everybody that we did. The 4-1 was just kind of a new class that was coming up. It was mostly Missouri, but I felt like at that point in time, I wanted to jump into a class that the dyno numbers weren't so crazy. Like, Super Farm seemed like you just had to go spend money every single time. And at that point in time, the Diesel Super wasn't as bad, or the, the 4-1. And... It looked like a better ride, so we jumped in there, went into the 4-1 class, had a lot of years of good success, and I wouldn't trade that for nothing. And one night I was ice fishing, and I get a phone call from your dad saying, hey, Jason said that you talked about building a diesel super. I've got one for sale, and I want a 4-1, and 
how about let's make a trade? And that was the dumbest thing I did because I was ice fishing, so you knew I was drinking. And <laughs> we uh, we made a deal right there on the lake, and I told Dad afterwards, he says, yeah, I think we just made a deal. And uh, he says, what? And he says, well, I'm going to go down there in about two or three weeks and go check it out. And I should have known better because I'm on Highway 20 on the way down there, and I blow a tire out right by Eugene Williams. Um who also is a decent super stock corn. That should have been a sign for me just to just to stay away and just go back home and keep the four one. But we ended up going through the deal and obviously had them issues with that Alice motor, but it's a learning curve and we had some good years with it so far. But uh in the last three years that diesel super class is just insane. It it has taken off further than any class I can honestly think of. I'm just, that's got to be Rock Valley, like, oh, what, maybe 10? Oh, that was the test and tune cancer benefit pole there because there's the Baca sled there. I would say yeah. so. Um, that actually is a 4 1 right there, though. Yeah. Okay, that was true. Yeah, that was 2012, Taylor. So. Yep, that would have been our first outdoor pole with that 4 1 right there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's segue. Let's segue into extreme performance and tire cutting. How did Taylor Van Beek get into the tire and rim business? So, when I graduated from high school, I went to NCC uh, to be a diesel mechanic. Worked at DNK for five years, and at that point in time, I was pulling with them and on the road quite a bit. Just uh, in the summertime, obviously you're on the road chasing a point. So you're, you're leaving work quite a bit. And I just, we had a good group of workers there and I, I felt like I was always taking off quite a bit of time and wanted to do some tractor pulling. So I was down in Gordyville and I remember hearing that Bryson Ginner was thinking about getting rid of his tire cutting business. Didn't know if that's something I would like or not, but I figured, Hey, I'll give him a call. Just go down there and check it out. And went down to Eddieville stayed there for a weekend and just watched him kind of work. Talked to dad about it. And I'm like, yeah, I think this might be something that I might enjoy. You know, I enjoyed like he had some customers coming in that weekend and interacting with pullers. And I said, this might be something I enjoy. So I stayed down there for about three or four weeks just off and on and watched him work and kind of started working on some tires myself and get my hands wet in it and really enjoyed it. I felt like this is something that I could do. I knew that he was probably going to get out and there needed to be somebody in Iowa around this region that would cut tires. So I brought it up to Rock Valley. We loaded up the machines in the oven and brought it up there. And yeah, the first few years, you know, it was kind of a struggle because obviously a lot of people are still calling Bryce because they had just their phone number in there and they didn't know about me. So then they didn't know if they'd trust me or not. So like this time of year when I first started the business, I'd be hauling fat cattle. I had my CDL, so I'd do that. In the summer, I'd do a lot of touch-ups and wasn't quite sure if it was going to take off. And then we really just started focusing on it. And what really skyrocketed extreme performances when we teamed up with Kaiser Wheels in 2012, that really pretty much jointed us to where we're at today is getting more involved in the rim business. And at that point in time, 
you start picking up the customers on tires and rims and it really just took our business to the next level. No, that's good. And that's How automated are you with, with the tire cutting that you do? Are, are you do, still hands-on like a banter style machine where somebody's got to park on it or do you have the angler style where it's a little bit more robotic? No. So it's funny. The tire cutting machine I got was actually Darren Roosh's, if I'm not mistaken, I, I'd like, I'm pretty sure the history on this Darren Roche, um, Roosh especially that deals with the clutches originally owned it. And I believe it was Firestones before then, but it went to Darren Roosh and then Bryson Ginder and, and then mine. So it's got the brake on it. Um, and then obviously we had contracted to have a robotic tire cutting machine, hundred percent robotic where you file in the profile, everything goes and you hit a button to walk away. Had a little bit of difficulty in the programming side of that, and we're still working with some issues and got some very good leads on how to get that addressed. So obviously that's still what our plan is for, you know, 2023 and going forward is doing it 100% robotic. Um, I just feel like that's the future of tire cutting and it needs to happen, and we're going to do whatever it takes to get to that point. Like it. Frees you up to be able to do, you know, some more – as far as probably, you know, I'm, I'm sure for those who don't know the process, like you, you cut a tire, but it's not finished. You still have some handwork, right? When, when it's done. Yeah. And that's the thing is you, you can go out and look for employees to go in there and cut and it takes them a while to train and stuff. And then also at that point in time, just that workforce today is just not anything like what it used to be. Um, you can definitely find an employee, but you're going to pay him good. But the, the robot, it's just going to be a way that that can be cutting a tire. I can be mounting on a set or drilling out rims or doing whatever. And it just really kind of increases or kind of increases our workforce quite a bit. Yeah. Your efficiency uh, would be awesome. Taylor. Efficiency, but also the repeatability too. Like if, if you're going to like a robot style where it's automated and you're not reliant upon the skill and handwork of, of the man running it, a guy comes back and says, Hey, do this again now you can tell them all right i can yeah well it's the same thing like you know back in the 80s when guys would do cylinder heads you know you, you trusted somebody that felt very good on doing valve jobs you know like they they were just very good and skillful and they could repeat that process as good as possible it's kind of the same thing entire cutting now where now you wouldn't even think about somebody doing that without a cnc you know i mean they can put it in there and program it and do it the way they want and that's how we want to do it with the tire cutting uh, pretty much the same philosophy. I mean, you tell us what kind of motor setup you got and what kind of class you're in, and we'll dial you up a profile tire in our program and kind of go at it. And it's going to take a little bit here, but um, I know we've been working on this for three years, and it, it's just been a lot of roads that we didn't want to go down and a lot of hiccups, but we're going to get there, and we're going to do everything possible to make sure that we can have the most consistent perfect tire out there with this robot programming because that is the future of the tire cutting in my opinion taylor what are you doing in this video right here so this is a 20.838 double cut um so i'm using a grinder here i'm actually making it look like i'm doing more work than i should probably be i can take my my cutting head there and run across it and kind of shave all that down and make it a little bit easier but at that same point in time if you mess up just one time that whole tire shot, this is the safest way to do it. And this was a customer's tires that he brought into me. 
so there's no replacing them. That's not a brand new set. So at that point in time, we just go in there with a grinder. So I've already, you can see my white chalk lines. I'm taking that grinder in there and I'm just kind of pretty much relieving all that rubber in between the bars. And then I'll go ahead and knife it and then do a final sanding on it. How long yep. does it take per tire? So that tire right there, you, you'll end up doing that set by the time you take the lug heights down, do all this, knife it and sand it. You're at about two days. You know, now, that's, that's kind of right now there. Now everybody knows why it costs what it costs right there. Yeah. What did yeah. you say, Charles? That that right there explains why it costs what it costs. People's jaws drop all the time. When I bring up on Mike the, about the cost of tire cutting, they just don't understand the actual man hours that goes into it to produce that. And see, that grinder right there will get rotated out in about 20 minutes because it'll overheat and we have seven more sitting there. So in order to finish that tire, if you think you're just going to sit there with one grinder and try doing it, you'll, you'll burn the motor up in that completely. Jason, so you've been to my shop. You've seen how many grinders are just sitting there. That yep. It's nuts. It'd be a great place to have a Halloween, uh, one of them scary places. Start them all up at the same time and run around, <laughs> Charles, with the lights off. I, I'm not saying I've done that. I'm not saying I haven't. <laughs> if, if you go to an automated style, Taylor, like how much, how much time do you think that cuts off? Uh, so what we were originally planning on, I was probably pushing a little bit harder. So the company that we were working with and the Fanuc robot that we were going to use, we were planning on doing a tire, a touch-up, complete touch-up on one tire in 45 minutes. So we're looking at about five minutes of install time of the tire onto the machine. It runs around it and changes the bar degree. Um, if it's a 48-degree bar, obviously it just rotates the tire. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even have to measure the circumference. It's just rotating at a certain degree every time. We were planning on doing a tire in 45 minutes, and then we'd have a five-minute switch out, put the other tire on, so we'd be at an hour and a half to do a complete set of touch-up, and I'd be knifing, sanding, whatever profile that we wanted to put on it. We're right now, we're at about four to five hours. Wow. So quite a bit quicker. So a lot of time we'll have customers that'll come up from Missouri or Illinois or it may be wherever, and they'll bring up two or three sets because they just have that group around there that want to bring up tires and they'll drop them off and then somebody else will come pick them up at another time because obviously to do three sets, you're looking two days to do it where here they could just stick around for half a day and we'd get them back on the road. So it, it benefit our customers quite a bit as well too. Can you imagine going back and I mean, you're, you're kind of new at this, you know, not, I don't mean to, I don't mean that the way that it sounds like you, you definitely had the experience, yep. but to go back, say 25 years pre puller 2000 and take a virgin firestone 10 ply and make the same thing happen, you'd be there for a week. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's about what these meat as tires are at. Um, so obviously we're redesigning our tire cutting machine right now to go through them a lot quicker and use our machine, but it's kind of the same concept. It doesn't take much to take the top bars off of them tires like you're talking about, Charles. It's just that getting it smooth and then making all them cuts and removing that rubber, you know, that's essentially what the meat ass tire comes in at. It's smooth completely. 
we've got one actually on the cutting machine right now that we're working on and it it takes a long time and that meat is tires with different rubber so it takes even longer to remove that rubber because it gums up a little bit more so that's why we felt like if if meat test ever does you know keep continuing to grow in the customer demand we have to be able to do a set a lot quicker and more efficient and more precise in the competition and that's what the robot would end eventually end up doing but yeah so you're right Charles. If, if, if that's all you had to do you could only do about a, a set to two sets a week you know and uh you're shot after that i mean yeah i got a million questions about the mitos but that brings up something whether it's the mitos or we, I, we hear this talked about with the pro puller and I, there might be some others where this is the case where they're using different rubber compounds whether it's the the sidewall or the actual uh tread surface so that being softer now yeah it do, it's going to gum up whatever tooling you're using and, and the adaptability that you've had to make to compensate for that is there any crosstalk that happens between the tire manufacturers and i, I won't say end users but the, you know the, the preparers such as yourself like hey this is what we're doing you might need to change for X, Y, Z, or, or is that line of communication not necessarily open? Um, so no, with me test, I mean, obviously that's all kind of over uh, in Europe and stuff on that side. We don't really have a communication with them. I, I guess I haven't reached out to them at that point in time either. Uh, they kind of, they, they've got their engineers that are very well knowledgeable and they've got a tire that it, it works. So we kind of deal with what we're presented with. Uh, with pro pullers, you know, we have gone down to the factory there. We've met with our engineers. Um, that, that rubber is very similar to, you might say, what the Puller 2000 were used with. It comes off and it, it dusts up a lot more than it does gum with uh, the meat test. But you can definitely tell, like, in, even in the smell when we start cutting on them, the difference between a meat test and a pro puller, it, it's, there's two different completely rubber compounds that they are using. I'm sure that. Go ahead, oh, sorry, go ahead, Cody. Honestly, I'm sure that adds a lot of time too, and it starts coming up and doesn't just kind of dust off. Is you know, yeah. I mean, that's a whole different game playing that one. Yeah. So usually, like on a Polar 2000 or a Pro Polar, I can do one disc of tire. When we start getting into the meat house, we'll roll through like them same discs of 36 grit or 50, 60, depending on whatever cut the customer wants. We'll roll through about four of them on a tire just because it. It does gum up and it leaves that residue on the resin of the sandy disc. So obviously, once you start getting that heat built up into that backing pad, you almost got to change that disc out and your backing pad because that heat's there and it just keeps gumming up. And then it, it leaves more of a streaky mark into the rubber rather than uh, the finish that a customer might be looking for. I reckon with the Mitos, there's guys who are pretty particular about the the angle of their cut, shall we say, and what designs are out there. But it's a blank sheet canvas sort of design. I'd say, you know, so I won't ask you like specifics because, you know, you're 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 not going to give away what guys are actually doing. But, you know, within a range, um, let's call it, you know, Firestone sort of set the, the, the standard at 23 degree. Within a range, plus or minus on that, like what's the range guys are playing with on the Mitas these days? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, like you said, when Firestone was the only tire maker out there, they came out with a 23 degree, came out with a 3 bar, and we just kind of cut them tires, you know, here and there, profile here and there. Didn't really move much on the bar angle. Um, even tread height didn't change much. 
and that's really changed since the horsepower has gained a lot. All of a sudden, now you're seeing more dirt in front of the span or the pan and these pro stocks, mods, and stuff. So when Metas came out with a flat tire and in their casing, they've got a 48, a 50, 52, and a 54 lug pattern on it. All of a sudden, guys are like, well, why would we go to a 48 when we can go to 54? And yeah, I know at that point in time, you can go to 56, 60, you can kind of do whatever you want. And it really revolutionized how we do the other tires, like the Pro Polars and the Firestones, because all of a sudden now guys are looking at angles and going to 28 degree angles on Pro Polars with a shorter lug height and having very good success depending on the tracks and the motor setup of what they've got, whether it be a 540 Light Pro. A lot of them guys started leaning their angles back to 26, 27 degrees compared to the 23 degree conventional from the Firestone. So when Metals kind of came out of that tire, Obviously, guys were already moving in bar angles, but it really just opened it up to more classes. And it's just honestly more of a motor configuration. Like if you've got torque, then it seems like that that 23 to 24 degree works better. If you got high horsepower and you're going to be spinning them and you need to bust the tires, it seems like that, that bigger degree, that 27, 28 works. So that's one of the things I've learned the most in these last three years is figuring out, all right, are you looking for torque are you looking for horsepower on the other end because that's what i need to know to make you the perfect tire i can't cut <coughs> the same tire for a 401 guy here when his motor setup is different i really try diagnosing and talking to him a little bit more instead of making a universal tire because it does make a, a dramatic difference for our customers that way can you contrast yeah. the 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 balance between torque and horsepower versus uh, you know with a lug angle decision versus saying, all right, I've got an RPM window. How many lug count should I make around it? Because a lot of the real high horsepower guys, I mean, it's obvious. There's more lugs there. Can you cut those back and just go, all right, we're going to put more carcass on the ground and try to give you some gear ratio by only biting the track so many times versus a whole bunch? Yeah, so like in the lower horsepower classes, like you say you're 466, and, uh, you know, them classes will ask, all right, so what's your what's your horsepower range and your torque range? What are we looking to do with your motor setup? Is it better on the low end or high end? Are we looking for surface area on the tire? Are we looking for depth on the lug height? And we'll kind of post that program with them where I would say three years ago, I'd never even asked that question. They'd say, hey, I got a 466. I'd be like, all right, this is the bar height that we're going to run and the angle and kind of go from here and then we kind of transitioned all right what tracks are you pulling on and this and that and your gear ratios and now we're getting even more detailed uh trying to figure out if if they've got a lot of horsepower on this high number and you're looking for surface area on the ground and just spin them and break them loose with a bar count or are we trying to put 48 lugs with a deep lug and just try working that thing it's that's kind of where it comes to so i would say you know in the lower horsepower classes, the torque, we kind of do more of the 23, 24 degree angles with the deeper lug. And then if guys want to really break them loose and they get the fast gears, then we'll kind of lay them back a little bit and shallow the lug height so that they can spin them and keep them RPMs up and free that motor up. I promise I'm only going to ask one more super nerd question. No, this is great, Charles. <laughs> Taylor likes this. Um, in, terms of, in terms of the bar design, uh, are you stuck right now at a straight line or can you do the yeah. parabolic bar or is that something where the, the red, yeah. the robot's going to come in? No. Uh, so we've talked about that a lot too. Um, we've had a lot of customers say, 
you know, Goodyear and stuff, they're coming out with these designs where the tire is angling like this at a certain point in time. And you would think that their engineers are, know what they're doing. Can we do that? And obviously, you know, how we cut our tires right now is we lay a straight edge down and we do a hot knifing process or we'll take a cup and go across it and do that. Obviously, with a cup, it'd be kind of hard to replicate that on every single bar. And you could make a straight edge that you could curl it like that. But we have had a lot of customers ask us about that. And they'll ask us about it and I says, well, I can make a straight edge that we can roll on the point and do that and uh, go for it. But I've never had anybody commit on it. But at that point in time, the robot will be able to kind of do whatever we want. All we have done a progressive cut. That was a John Platty back probably three or four years ago. So we'd start off from the center lug at about three-eighths of a lug. I think it was three, might have been three, 350 thousandths lug. And then by the end, we were at closer to half inch. So we'd progressively make it deeper on the outside. It was just something that we tried. And John would testify for it. Uh, the first time that he ran to me, I was out in Ravana, Nebraska, and ended up winning with him and had one of his best seasons out there with him. They worked really great. It was just always hard to do that touch-up because you had to, you know, every single lug hit, you have to start at the same point on that straight edge that we we're using. So we have always messed around with trying different things like that. Um, and that was one of our most unique cuts. I do get another unique cut out there that uh, might be out in Nebraska. And they've run one time as well, too. And I'm kind of anxious to see them run one more time. But we always mess around with stuff. Uh, I'm not afraid to try anything out of the box. I'm not going to just keep going by the rule of uh, running a straight edge. I mean... All the cutters out there, they all do an excellent job. And if you don't try doing one thing a little bit different here or there, you're never going to have an edge up because, honestly, between the top cutters out there, there's not five foot to gain between all of our tires. It's just more of, you know, making sure that they have the best cut for your tractor and to get that extra five foot, and that's what we're really striving to do. But as we continue to move forward with this robotic, I hope to get another five foot and make sure that we've got that guaranteed competition for all of our customers. I lied. I've got another question. <laughs> that tire yeah. over on the right in this image, how much secret sauce is there, if any, in doing the little fillet cuts on the shoulder on the very outside of that tire? So you're talking like that side notch in there? Yeah, the little yep. just that yep. little notch that goes in there. Yep. So I, I wish I could answer this with you with a statistic, but so hard to prove in tractor pulling so that's where us tire cutters i mean it's all across the board mayhill hawthorne course we're all nickels all in the same situation we can try one thing on that tire and put you on the track and all of a sudden you go out and win and you're like oh that side notch helped out dramatically and then you go pull on saturday night and you're 20 foot behind we it, it's so hard to replicate the tires on testing like we do a lot of testing and we're going to do more testing this year um, I, I, I don't have the luxury of being a, a Hart's diesel and throwing you on a brand new pump and injectors and turbo and go to the dyno and showing you, Hey, this is what I got you right here. And right. There. I, I can put out a tire for you. And, and that's also a disadvantage for me. I buy you, you get a new set of tires and you go put them on the track. Well, there's a braking procedure. There's a weight setup procedure, air pressure procedure that we all need to go through. It's just not that instant gratification right away. And I, I am working on doing something a little bit more quicker there as far as getting them broke in. Uh, so that way customers don't have to deal with that as well, too. So that's all in the works. I want it to be something where you buy a brand new set. It's the most precise cut. We've got them broke in. Um, 
and they've got the sharp edge on them without having to run them three or four times to figure out where they're at. And then it's just up to you to figure out, did the circumference help your gearing out or what we need to do there? But I, I would say I do take a lot more time on the phone talking to customers on their gearing issues and their speeds of their rear end and their engine horsepower torque numbers just to figure out the best possible cut for them. And I'm sure maybe other, uh, you know, tire cutters do, but that's one thing that we might've lacked in the previous years, but we're, we're really focused on doing that now and it's paying dividends a lot this year. That's a, that's totally fair response. And I'm still, I'm still not done. I still lied. You mentioned in the equipment move in uh, the oven, is it an autoclave? The oven? Yeah. Uh, no. So we've got it. <laughs> you laugh at it, but um, it, it's a foam sprayed, pretty much uh, a container, you might say. And then at that point in time, we can control the temperature on it anywhere from 100 degrees to 800 degrees, depending on what we want to do. And then we cycle through the tires at different processes. And that's another thing that we're messing around with a lot of um, so when we first went to uh, some of these tire places to watch the tires get made and mess around with other companies, talking to them with like tightening stuff, is that heat is actually you know hard on the inside of them tires as far as the cording and stuff goes. But there's a very fine line there that you can play around with. Um, so we we've really been messing around with our heat treating process quite a bit. But um, yeah, what we're also working on there is making it more automation as well too. So what we do really is kind of going through halfway through the cycle and rotate tires where you're getting it as consistent as possible without the least amount of effort. But what we're trying to do here is kind of do something similar and try to make it as consistent as possible when they come out of the oven that every part of the tire is seeing the exact same amount of heat and the exact same amount of pressure through it. So you're not, you're not doing the old school <coughs> technique of uh, curing the tires by throwing them out behind the shop in the sun for 30 days. And then somebody has got to remember to roll them over for another 30. No, no, <laughs> no. And you know, it's funny is we have a lot of these antique guys that'll come in and say that they're throwing them in the, uh, the green bin dryers and stuff like that and heat them up and they'll be all weather cracked by the time they get to us. And <laughs> now, I mean, you hear, you see a lot of stuff come in and I mean, heat does do wonders to a tire. It's unbelievable what you can see the difference in a the tire once you throw it through heat on the durometer. But you can actually, I mean, obviously overheat, it's fabric. So um, too much heat in a tire will obviously create a lot more peeling and uh, you'll lose some of the memory in that, that cording. I mean, that's steel too. So you can definitely ruin a tire pretty fast in the heat treating process as well too, if you're not careful. Yeah, you can make it too brittle where you're starting to break off on the edges and, and ruin yep. it and lay it and back. Your points will start flaking up and peeling off, and you know, I have to square the points off. So, yeah, and we'll see that uh, from time to time from tires when they come in that have been sitting around for some time. That not not saying it's an old tire; it's just they were in heat too long, and yeah, they they'll just pretty much chip away. So, yep. tread peeling probably takes us to the elephant in the room when it comes to tires. The mini rod guys, where every single one of them just goes WTF. <laughs> why won't yeah. these live yeah so I, I would say the best thing that ever happened and so in the mini rods we don't see as much action around there because of my geographic location yeah, that's fair that's and fair. my connection you know we don't have a lot of mini rods in the outlaws but we have do we do have some and i would say um 
the best thing that happened to that mini rod, in my opinion, class so far is when Chad Mayo did take over that casing, it did help a lot because at one time we had naturally aspirated guys that we were selling tires to that would destroy tires in like six, seven runs. And they're not putting out, you know, they're right at about a thousand horsepower and they were destroying tires. And I believe this was mostly the pioneers when they kind of took over that tire. And then Chad kind of took over that tire and really made it quite a bit better as far as using the rubber compound. But that just shows you how crucial that is in them tires of what they're using. That goes back to the Mijas and the Propolar, the difference in the compounds there. But that was probably the best thing for them guys so far. But that small of a tire, I mean, the RPMs that they throw out and the horsepower that they throw out for that tire, that's one of the toughest tires that ever gets abused in in literally any tire ever designed drag racing uh mud dragging monster truck the mini rods will put out probably the most abuse to a tire period for for a fan who's new new to the sport or doesn't doesn't necessarily know they'll look at it and they'll go all right i look at a mini rod and i look at a two-wheel drive truck and the tire looks like it's the same size same same design truck weighs six thousand pounds the mini rod weighs 2050 i don't hear the two-wheel drive guys complaining there there's more to that though it's not just the the tires aren't the same right so yeah they'll, they'll use different ply ratings there and then if you ever look at a mini rod tire you'll see that they don't even use that full 18.4 of that no. tire they'll shave the outsides way off and run a real shallow bar on it so the tire use actually the same mold it's a different ply rating but the way that they're cut it's completely different so yeah they're the same size same circumference same mold but not even close to the same cut. And that's just because the mini rod guys, if you throw them on a super modified two-wheel drive tire, <laughs> they'd never be able to keep that front end down and they'd ruin a tire instantly. Yeah, I think for the mini rod guys, they're what, a two-ply, if that's right? Yeah, so I know that there's uh, they, they make six plies and ten plies, a lot of them in the Mayhills there. Um, obviously, they're always looking for the lightest tire possible. Um, so you're naturally aspirated and your super modifieds are always on the, the 10 plies, but, um, it's actually, you know, no different than the 24, five pro pullers. They make a 10, 12, 14, same mold, just different cording angle and uh, ply rating on it. So yeah, usually the, the mini pullers, rods, they just abuse them tires as much as possible. Yeah. And like you said, like they're, they're looking for weight advantage. They'll, they'll shave off the outer edge on that bar because, they're turning the tires so hard, the tires grow. It's not touching anything anyway. So that's weight that you can cast off. Yep. Well, now you're putting all that much more pressure into, you know, a tire that it idle is this wide, but at full power narrows up to this. And uh, yeah, so there's a difference there too. Yep. And there, there's some secrets that we're going to try there. And even on the bigger tires as well, too, some of the stuff that, um, working with Wade at uh, Kaiser Wheels that they kind of do in the drag racing scene, how tires form. There's there's definitely technology out there to help this um, pulling industry in the tire that I won't get into. And it's just another thing that we've always kind of worked on behind the scenes, but it, we've got so many flames in the fire that we've just got to stop trying to come up more ideas and get one down. And that's kind of our focus right now is the robot. And then, keep going down the cycle because what we've figured out is you can have all these great ideas, but if you don't focus and stick to one, 
you're and then you keep moving on you're never getting nowhere so um right now customer service is our biggest thing just talking and down into the customers and getting to know them and what their setup is but we're really going to start hammering on the uh, robotics um here in the future in 2023 and then once that gets all rolling good we've got we're just going to keep going down the list of everything that we've tried over the years and yeah like i said i i'm probably one of the younger tire cutters in and i've been in it since 2010 11 but uh there's a lot of things that we've tried over the years and we just never kept putting the effort into it that i'd like to see some of these things happen but it's just uh you've got to make sure that you just focus on one thing at a time and keep going because if you're flip-flopping here and there it just seems like it just makes a big mess you might say Last one, and I promise I'll shut up after this. How is Kaizen set back up after after the shop fire? Are, are they they back up and running and, and doing all right? Yep. So they uh, relocated to Alton, Iowa. So it's about 15 minutes away from where they're originally at. Bigger shop. Actually, last week they just got in their new spin machine. So that's very huge for us because right now, how Kaiser Wheels originally started is we would bring the wheel parts down to Cedar Rapids. And they would spin them in a spin shop there. We'd bring them back up here, heat treat them. And then we'd have to bring them back down there to get respun just to make sure they were trued up. Then they'd come back. We'd polish them, sand them, or sand and polish, and then drill the bead screws out and drill the centers. And then we'd be ready to go where I believe that was four years ago. He invested into a spin machine that could actually do it in-house. So that cut off a waiting on somebody else to get on their spin machine and do the cycling because they pretty much just said we can get you in at this time and this time and then all of a sudden they might delay us we're here it was all in-house we could do it the way we wanted to if we needed to make adjustment to a radius or something we could do it all in-house so that was <laughs> crucial for us and once we lost that in the fire we kind of were pretty much at the mercy of this company again and they weren't going to give us the time of day because they knew that we were going to spin cycle machine back up. So we pretty much played on their schedule and their time. And it was rough this last year, but they just did get their last or their spin machine on last week. They're working on getting it set up and they should be back to about probably 200% from what they were at two years ago before the fire. Their shop right now is amazing. I'd, I'd love to go back in there. I know Jason, we did a tour there that one time. If you would see their new shop, it, it's unbelievable. It uh, they grew back better, um, way better than they ever before. It's unbelievable. Sounds like a road trip for Doug Borth soon. So there we go. There we go. Well, thank you for indulging my nerd bone. I'm no. gonna shut up. Let somebody else talk. <laughs> it's great, Charles Taylor. What's Taylor? Um, go ahead. What's up, Ryan? Taylor, how many uh, how many pounds do you figure you shave off the average twenty four five meat toss? So we just put one, we just got a set of meat tests. So my first 24.5 came in last week. We weighed them up there, 469 on the scale, and I'm working on it right now. Um, waiting to hear back on the customer of how many logs we're putting into it. But I would say the weight, just to profile it the way I did already so far, I've knocked off 20 pounds, and then by the time we knife it and remove that rubber, I bet we're going to be pretty close to... Uh, I would say 
469. I bet we'll be at 370. I bet we'll knock 100 pounds off of that tire pretty easy. Wow. Yeah. Same thing go with the with the 30.5s or more? Yeah, so the 30, that's why I'm kind of basing it off of that. The 30 we knocked off, I would say we've done a couple of them, depending on the lug height and the bar count there too, but it was uh, 110 pounds in the first hit that we did is what we knocked off on rubber. Wow. Jeez. Yep. And yeah, it's a good it all thing you got lots the, of kids. To it really just depends shop. on the. <laughs> yeah, every Friday we try doing that. Like right before uh, we're gonna close up the shop, we'll try cleaning that up, and we'll fill up a a big container full pretty easily. But um, yeah, back to that, how much rubber you move off. It just really depends on how deep of a lug you're doing, how many bar counts you're doing. And some can be, you know, you could only knock off 50 pounds on one tire. It just depends on what cut you're doing, but. I think the most that we've seen is 110 on that Mitas. Are those gen are the Mitas generally heavier than say a Pro Puller or a Firestone? So a Firestone 30.5 out of the factory would come in at about 474, where your Mitas are going to be closer to that 500 range. So yeah, they will come in heavier. Uh, but I would say after you're done with the Mitas, I, I, they're going to be actually a little bit lighter um, from what we've been seeing. But we haven't done a lot of them. And this is the first 24 five set we've done. But if they're coming in at 469, a pro puller, like say a 12 ply, that'll come in at about 420. By the time we're done with that, it'll be at about 400. So I'd imagine this Mitas tire will come in probably 390, 380 um, if if it continues what we've done in the past. What ply rating do they offer the Mitas when it comes to the 30.5? That's a great question. So the sets that we've done, you know, there, there really is no ply rating on them. Interesting. Um, so I, I guess I couldn't really answer that specifically. Um, are they a bias construction or are they more radial? So like all of your, all your 24.5, like Pro Polars, Firestones, that's all kind of a bias ply rating is what it is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's interesting. Cause you know, I always kind of look at weight stuff and, and I particularly look at light limited super and light super and who's running what and who's able to get away with what. So I've yet to see a Mitas on a light limited anyway and light super. I'd have to really think even if I've seen one on any of them and there's a lot of guys who are, still run the old Firestone 10 plies just because they say, well, they're lighter and that's what I can get away with. And I can't find any other weight in my frame. So just one of the things I look at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, we haven't seen many of the Mitas. Like I know Chad's done way more than we have, and he's probably got way more knowledge in the Mitas just because a lot of the guys over here, even in, uh, the super stock class, a lot of them, they run, the. Uh, you know, we did a lot of the pro pullers with them and they weren't sure about the Mitas tires and they seen some of the mods have some troubles with them and bouncing and stuff. So we probably haven't dipped into the Mitas tires near as much as Chad Mayo has. But I would say that a lot of the guys I'd like to see, it'd be interesting to see once what like that 24-5 Mitas tire we're doing a super farm class or, you know, a light pro class like that because... If you can start adding more bars and taking that lug height down, that's where your advantage is at. And I, I think that in the next few years, you know, with Pro Polar coming out with a 52 lug tire next summer, 
I think that's going to be very interesting to see once how this tire market changes even next year. That statement just crystallized a lot for me in terms of the way you phrase that. Yeah, the wheels are turning. I get it. Yep. If you were paying attention to this show, you just learned something. Yep. Well, I'll keep an Jason eye on did. Josh Miley. He's got uh, – he made a pass. He's got, he's got a set of Mitas on there. Yep. Yeah, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whenever we – whenever Cody and I went down to Wagler, he did make a test hit. Yep. I've got a picture of him on my phone sitting next to his old tires, and he's got a pretty tall set there. Yeah. So what's it going to take to um, kind of change in gears maybe a little bit, but uh, um, we've gotten to become – or we've gotten to the point where mo the mods – specifically are making way more power than they ever have in the past and you know with the introduction of screw blowers and so on and so forth we've gotten to the point where we're making you know a mod that's you know running on kill is making 14 15,000 horse and they're blowing the tires off what's it going to take to put that power to the ground In your well, opinion, because I, I, I think we can all agree that I think the thing that's going to solve it is tire tech. What do you think that what do you think manufacturers need to be working on or are working on right now to help those guys get that power down to the ground? In my opinion, Ryan, I, I think it's I think the tire industry. I mean, obviously, there's room for growth. I mean, uh, when I pulled in Super Farm and Precision came out of that charger and. We were pushing out, you know, 13, 12, 1300 horsepower. Like, ah, there's no way we'll gain more. There's just no, there's nothing else that we can do. And also now you look at where they're at. That tire development is going to continue to grow and it's going to continue in research and development. But honestly, in my opinion, to answer that question, I believe that 10 years ago, the tire game was never even close to where it is at right now. When I first started, people didn't care about circumference. They didn't care about luck. They just order a new set of tires. We give them a set and away they went. It was just kind of that routine. Now they've got different options. I honestly think the next biggest step into traction pulling is going to be coming in the clutches. And it is going to be dramatically a game changer once that happens. I, I think that honestly is, if you'd ever go to uh, NRJ rig or uh, NR, um, like the drag racing and just go into their shop and watch their, Look at their clutch disc selection and how they go through that. It is so crucial, more than tires. And I that, that is tractor pulling's next biggest step to getting these vehicles hooked up. Uh, the technology and the clutch and driveline system, I think, is going to be the next big thing. So that's kind of fascinating because I don't. I'd have to dip into a rule book and see what's allowed in terms of clutch management. We see something like the nitro fuel classes where it has to be pneumatic timers or something like that or are they allowed to do any sort of no electronic I, I just think that like i just think like and how you can stage these fingers now with the technology out there i mean um just by the rpms and the revolutions i, I think you can still do it a lot of mechanical and wise but i i just think that if somebody comes out with something different it's going to make a difference and it's just how they're staged in different discs i i think that there's something there to be gained and I've heard rumors of people messing around with stuff, and I wouldn't be surprised if I see something happen in the future here. So you pulled diesel super stock. I'm not going to ask you how many fingers are on 
your clutch hub, but I mean, you know, do we see a deal where we double the number of fingers and and now we suddenly got that progressive feel in the pedal Thank that you. maybe you don't have now? I could see it. I mean, I don't know why a guy, if he didn't experiment with it, couldn't figure something out. That's that's some awesome insight. I, I that's really like fascinating that. to me too. Right. That's awesome insight. I'm that my brain is going a hundred miles an hour right now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where that goes. I don't know where that goes from here. Um, and it, I think it all comes down to what the rule book is going to show as terms of control, because the rule book has shown no desire necessarily beyond a, a, a very generic description of tire size. They're going to allow whatever. And we've got manufacturers involved who have money who are willing to spend it to sponsor. So that's never going to get rolled back. So now we push it into the clutch world. And yeah, what's where's the control and, and controllability goalpost going to get set? Well, and at the end of the day, like you said, Ryan, I mean, uh, on some of these on these mods, I mean, the horsepower that they're putting out and the tire that that's offered, um, it, it it'd probably be easier on some of these guys if we could get it closer to where it needs to be at to get them hooked up. I.e., dialing back. Just reading Mark's comment. Yeah, Mark's got too much knowledge. He probably. <laughs> There's a there, yeah, yeah. His comments got a, like three moving pieces. We were starting at one. <laughs> yeah. But I know that there'll be people. I mean, yeah, it, it'll become the next. I, I honestly think that that's going to become bigger. Over time, but as far as the tire industry, like we said, uh, 10 years ago, if you'd have said that the tire game was going to be where it's at now, I would have laughed at you, and I'd hate to see where it's, where it's going to be at in 10 years from now. I, I don't know. Can I hit you with a totally off-the-wall idea? Yeah. So let's let's put this in the frame of modifieds. Um, we got mods out there that three to four – thousand horsepower just it doesn't matter just ballpark there's pro mod drag cars making the same but not using clutch doing it with a torque converter do we see a move away from a clutch to the sort of torque converter management we see on the asphalt where you can ramp in a lockup but then on the big end take the lockup back away and allow it to not slip, um, do its hydraulic coupling, save potentially the drive line, but still apply max power. Hmm. Yeah, you're I don't think there's anyone who's ever thought that with. before, and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's just dealing with that slippage and controlling where, you know, they've got nothing, no resistance behind them, but the slippage would be the biggest issue there, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, maybe it'd be something hydraulic. I mean, they're, they're it, it's crazy what this sport has come in the last 10 years on everything. And it just seems like the next thing is going to be something in the drive line. Cause I would have never believed that tires would have been this, this uh, big of a factor into pulling as it has been 10 years ago. Um, 
even when I was pulling them super fine before I owned it, we never really thought about tires as much as people do now. It just wasn't that big of an issue, but there was only one tire out there too. So obviously the game has changed quite a bit and who knows who else is coming into play in the next 10 years too. Charles. I, I'm sorry. I'm still just marinating on the torque converter idea, but I don't know. I don't know if it's any good or not. Um, just I've, I've got, still got my drag racing hat on, I guess, for a second, thinking about how that could work. I don't – on the diesel side, it would be a lot tougher, but uh, mods and two-wheel drives and minis, mm, I could see a push in that general direction with all of the – development that's gone on with the disassemblable uh, torque converters with billets uh, stators and the changes that are able to be made you just got to have the data management and is the rule book going to permit a scenario where that can be controlled and and right now everything is super analog on those classes so i don't know um it's a fascinating thought experiment to to see where that would go <clears throat> Taylor, the the when you merged with Kaiser, what did that do? What did that do? I mean, I know you talked about it, it really took it to the next level, but from like a I don't know, for me, I just think there's 24.5s out there and 20.8s and 30.5s. How many other like sets of tires have you cut? What kind of calls do you get? Kind of tell us all the things that you're able to do or tell us some funny stories of, of what people have asked you to do. <laughs> tell us oh, tell us yeah, about so. Stuck and Schneider's tires. <laughs> Justin Steiners? Tell us about Justin uh, Steiners well, because Mike Steffens referred to it earlier. Um, what was this Mike Steffens referred to? It? Randy's stuck in tires. The pedal tractor tires. tires. Oh, okay, yeah. The ones that the you cut for tires. Justin. Yep, yep. Um, so when actually it's funny how we got involved with Kaiser's. Um, at that point in time, there was Midwest, there's Whip Station, and Northern Sheen, and I knew Kaiser wheels, they were only 25 minutes away from us, and they built sprint car racing wheels, and they were one of the biggest in the nation, and still are. And I went to him with a tractor pulling wheel, and I said, can we make a wheel? And he kind of looked at it and flopped it on the ground and said, wow, right now I'm really not interested in becoming anything, like doing anything that big. Like, we're all small, um, just sprint car, <coughs> track racing, that's all we do. That actually is their new spin machine right there, Wade. Anyway, um... And I bugged him one more time and says, we really need a demand because when we'd order whip station rims, we'd order, you know, a customer would order set just say on Monday, July 14. And I'd wait for three or four more orders to come in before I'd place the order at whip station because you had to pay that shipping from Canada to come over or Midwest is always eight to 12 weeks out because they were so busy. And Wade, I kind of bugged him and kind of threw this, um, just kind of like, hey, I think there's a market here. And he's like, well, yeah, if we looked into tooling costs and all this, and I says, just figure out what it's going to be, and we'll, we'll kind of get it figured out. And Dad was kind of on board with it. And uh, obviously, Dad helped out tremendously on getting that project started, um, funding it. And we uh, Wade took off with it after Dad pretty much gave it the okay. And at that point in time, um, we started getting wheels in and before the fire we were about as close to getting turnaround time as we could and 
once we, uh, this new factory is up right now, it's going to be unbelievable as far as turnaround time of getting your wheels. So the craziest things that we've ever done, we've had uh, these mud dragger guys that just go in these pits and race. We've had a lot of questions on them on, uh, I believe they run 24 inch aluminum wheels they want to run them on. Um, obviously you get um, all these Kubota guys, they, they want garden pulling wheels to match their track pulling with that and stuff. But uh, let's see, I would say probably the most extreme that we've seen was probably them, uh, besides track pulling, was them uh, mud racers. And we actually quoted what it would cost to build a wheel for them. And since the market went there, it was going to be like $8,000 a set for these guys just for a set of aluminum rims for us to build them because there just ain't that much market out there. So, yeah, that was a 24-inch aluminum rim. Yeah. Like a 24 by 12 or something? Yeah, I believe something like that, yes. Yep. And did they want, like, the billet spiders that, like, the, you know, like the Dennis Anderson kind of king sling sort of bling-bling style? So they were mostly looking just for weight um, was their biggest thing. They didn't even care if they were polished or anything, but their offsets were so goofy. Like we, we thought about even maybe taking a look at it, but their offsets were like uh, six and six and stuff like that. And when you get them wheels that straight up and down, you're really taking a reliability risk because there's a lot of strength in the radius of the rims itself when it does that bend. So it, it was almost a liability factor that, something that we didn't want to mess around with or Wade didn't want to really mess around with. And I wasn't going to push him too hard into something that I didn't think that we'd move more than eight sets a year. So yeah. uh, <laughs> unless there's more of them out there than I know, but um, at that point in time, we, we just kind of just decided to refocus on what we're doing and just try and keep the product lines that we got on. Cause they do a lot of ATV wheels now. Um, since when I first contacted them, they got into that market racing and drag racing quite a bit. So, uh, they're, they're focusing on a lot of different lines and that one probably just wasn't one that we were ever going to try thinking about tackling. Charles, how much different is a mud, is a mud tire or a mud racing tire than like a, a sand paddle that we'd see up at uh, Silver Lake? I don't know. Well, I, in terms of what its bite is, I don't think is drastically different, but the sand paddle tires, that was like a, a glue on and, and Taylor, maybe you even know this better than I, that was kind of a glue on deal where if it failed, it would bust the, the lug off. Whereas the mud guys are doing this site stuff where it's super deep to begin with like a rice tire. And then they make it deeper on purpose, where now you're wrecking the carcass. If it grabs too hard. Yeah. the We've got some mud guys down here and, and I've got some guys <laughs> run sand paddles and then the mud drag guys, I mean, they'll, They'll take a hot iron and they'll cut every bit in between the lugs out that they can to shave weight and shave everything possible. And it's just, it's weird. I don't know. It's weird, but yeah. Does it, does it ever lift the lugs if they get too deep though? I've honestly never seen a sand guy blow a lug off, but I mean, I got to believe it's happened at some point. I mean, it, back in, I don't think it's a thing anymore, but about like, 2007 ish in california there were 300 inch nitro cars i'm we're talking like nhra top fuel nitro cars running 300 feet on sand with those kind of talking, style what are you tires. talking about 
California. I've seen video of that same thing from Michigan. Uh, it, yeah, it may have happened um, at Mears at Michigan as well. Yeah. There was a big deal at Elsinore out in California. And, like, I don't think it happens really anymore. But, I mean, there was big money in sand drags for a while with, you know, 10,000 horsepower cars. <coughs> and they were doing it with the glue on tires and not something that was a custom made. They were Goodyear Eagles that had the, the scoops and, I don't know, whatever it was, eight of them glued on the carcass. They still have a bunch of uh, I mean, even even on the like Taylor said, the ATV UTV side, like you go down to uh, Oklahoma, they have a huge drag race type of thing down there for UTV takeover, and it's I mean, sandrail cars to high horsepower UTVs and everything. It's it's crazy. Yeah, and like uh, not rim related, but tire related. Uh, like this week, right now we're working on. Uh, some little steer tires that drive a dairy parlor around. Actually, Terry and Beak dropped them off, and we uh, they come out with a, just a smooth tire. And it's probably about the size of a pedal tractor right now, and we'll just go in and kind of groove them and uh, do a little siping on them. And it, it's just the stuff that we've done over the years. Um, between that, uh, sod farms taking down lug heights to, uh, so then they can go in their fields and not tear up the grass. I mean, you name it. We've done a lot of, uh, at one time we were contracted through John Deere to do, uh, shaving down tires to do plastic load loss testing. Uh, that all went to Nebraska city. So we've done quite a bit of stuff just rather than tractor pulling in the tire cutting industry that it, uh, we've done some rubber rollers for case I eight. Um, at there's one year it was really dry and we would go and sipe them. Um, yeah, we've done a lot of unique things over the last 15 years in, uh, in our business besides just tire cutting. It's really kind of unique. So I'm, I'm curious on that, Taylor, like, do they kind of give you an idea what they want or do they have a, uh, here's the specs and you, they want you to do that? Or are you on your own to figure that out? I guess. Some of them dairy tires, they pretty much sent us the tires that they were, I think they, I want to say they were charging like 580 bucks for the tire. That was the way that they would buy them from the factory. They found a tire where I believe Terry puts in a different hover drum into it to make it work the way it should on them rollers. Cause the dairy, uh, the platform just keeps going around and these are kind of the drive tires. So what we pretty much did is kind of copy that. So they buy these tires for like 120, 140 bucks. I'm not quite sure on that. All we do is just go in and make the grooves and kind of copy it. Uh, the nice thing about that is, is we can change the lug height angle on that as well, too. To Obviously, that's why I was asking about peeling back, because if we get too deep on them, they were worried about them peeling off and stuff, so we didn't want to get too deep. But, yeah, it, it's just kind of a weird kind of thing where people just come up to us with uh, random stuff like that, and we just, yeah, if we got time to mess around with what we do, but... Obviously, that's stuff that just gets put on the uh, afterburner. And usually this time of year, it's always kind of that way. Um, most of the guys are out in the field doing harvest work and not worrying about their tractor. So this is kind of the time where we try doing a lot of R&D stuff and just messing around with these little projects like that. So, yeah, that's kind of how we started with that one is we kind of copied a tire and it saves that customer quite a bit of money just by us regrooving a, a smooth tire, almost like a meat us except for way smaller scale. 
plus the occasional pedal tractor tire. Yeah, plus production tires. That was, uh, I think that was the first pedal pull tractor tire I ever did. We actually did Jason, a set of... Jason, uh, go to Stuck and Schneider's profile and, and find the picture of the tractor that he built to look just like Scotty Olson's. We actually did a uh, on RC one, too. For real? There was a... <laughs> There was a modified RC that had sent us rubber tires, and we did two sets for them. Yep. Double did you do cut, cut them with a pocket like knife? Uh, pretty close to it. Yeah. Dremel. I think we had. Okay. I think we had eight. I think we had eighteen lugs on them. Yep. Dremel. Wow. That's pretty. Jeff's cool. got a good question there. If you want to take that one. What's your other force say? Um, on the 20.8, so on the 20.8, I know that Pro Polar Tire is going to have a, uh, a new tire out, their 20.8 hole shot in February. I actually believe their 18.4s are coming out sooner than that. Uh, late this year, early January is what I last talked to Aaron. Um, it'll be interesting to see once what this 20.8 tire does. I know that they want radials, um, but, you know, obviously what we're using is kind of a bias ply tire. The 20.8 future, I would say it's going to, you know, really depend on what this uh, this Pro Polar tire does. And, you know, Metest obviously has the option to follow and anybody else that wants to do it as well, too. You know, Legacy, they make that 20.8 tire, but that's also just a, uh, you know, your, your common agriculture tire that we shave the bars down. So until a tire specifically made for a 20.8 tire, I'd, I'd hate to answer that question, honestly. I hope, the 20, I hope the 20.8s don't go away, just so they look different from everything yeah. else. I'm sorry. They, they, do, they, do, they do need something more than that's offered out there right now. They really do. There's been a rumor in uh, recent weeks that Mitas got sold and it was going disc- to get discontinued. I think that's been debunked. What are you hearing yeah. on, on your end? So, no, my player, the Mitas, uh, he, he's got two containers coming. I think about 50 tires coming. Um so, as far as I'm told, I mean, uh, we're just waiting on a ship date right now. But and uh, as far as I've told, we haven't been aware or aware of anything that honestly is going to stop the Mitas tire from keeping coming. So, no, okay. I, I I've heard that as well too. That Trailberg, I believe, or something bought out uh, Mitas, but uh, that that could be just a certain line. But I honestly haven't heard nothing more than that. Okay. Really, that was the rumor that Trelleborg built, bought them. I believe so. See, I had heard. I had heard that. I think it was Toyo. Had, yeah, it was Toyo that had I heard Toyo bought them. Yeah, because we were all waiting for the Proxus eight 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 pulling tires. <laughs> <laughs> Donk diesel trucks, bring it on! Let's go. So that's Justin's. That's the uh, uh, on the screen. You see the uh, 1206 that Justin built for Scott Olson, and this was before it was uh, decaled and all set up. But uh, as I understand it, he called you kind of on a whim and said, "Hey, you ever do any pedal tractor tires?" Yeah. No, he uh, he sent me them tires, and 
it was about this time of year too when we tackled them and I uh, started messing around with them and uh, kind of asked him what he wanted and we went and cut him and I shipped him back in a box to him and he uh, says, oh, I'll just send me the bill. They look awesome. I might have another set. He says, what are you? I says, uh, just make sure the next time I see it attractable, just get me a case of beer. I, I'm still waiting on that case of beer, Justin. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> You know what? If he isn't paid up by the next time I see you, I'll pay that debt for him. Yeah. We'll make sure you get paid. No, I think uh, it was pretty cool because he, he gave me a good mention in the tag when he got it all done. And I believe there's a little girl riding on it and stuff. And it was uh, it was pretty cool to see. I mean, uh, he he does. A, yeah, that's what the tires look like when they came in right there on the right. Yeah, that was a. It was just a little fun project. So, yeah. Didn't he tell me that those are like junior dragster tires? Yeah, that's like what they look like. Tires. They look like it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's his little girl Eve. Well, that's his oldest yep. daughter Eve. Yeah, it was a fun little project. Yeah, I dare say that's probably the best-looking 1206 pulling tractor on the planet. <laughs> the pedal the pedal tractor, anyway. Taylor, what's the most um, – are 24.5s or 20.8s are your biggest uh, – I get your, your biggest line or business probably, I'm assuming? 24.5s is mostly what we're known for. I mean, we do 20.8s and obviously 30.5s and stuff like that, but our bread and butter is 24.5s. Uh, that's – pretty much what we're known for. That's what we spawn most of our energy into. Not that we won't do 18, 4, 16, 1, two-wheel drive tires and stuff like that and mod modified tires, but our biggest bread and butter by far is 24.5s. Yep. Who are some of like, I guess, you know, every builder, and you, you and I talk about this, you know, off air, but who are some of your bigger national customers that have had some good luck with your tires the last couple of years that you could mention kind of a um, good, good shameless plug Taylor. We, we grabbed Wishmeyer this year with whiskey wild and they went out and won chapel hill with us this year that was pretty cool uh i think that was pretty early in the year when they just put our tires on and that wasn't the tires that we wanted to have on them it was the only tire that we could get them we got them a 24 5 14 ply and we wanted the heavy duty ones so we could do the 52 lugs in on them uh, didn't get them in time for the season, so we uh, got them ready, and they went out in one chapel hill, and that was pretty cool for them to see. So that was, you know, it, it's hard for us to get into the the big name PPL Pro stocks and NTPA Pro stocks that you guys see out there because obviously they got options that are so much closer to them, and they've got relationships that are closer to them. But obviously, we proved that, you know, that was our only customer out there, and for them to win Chapel Hill, that was pretty cool for us, and. Um, working with hearts here, uh, they've gained our trust and we've also done the same with them on our tractor and, uh, they literally, uh, they give us a good word and that's how we kind of got into with Wishmeyer. So I, I feel like our reputation is going to keep growing on that PPL stuff. But at the end of the day, until we get this robot going, or I can get another hired guy, we really can't take on a lot more. Uh, we're pretty jam packed as busy as we can be, but. That's kind of my incentive is to get that robot going is to service customers as good as possible and make the best product out there. And I'd love to get some of these bigger names out there and uh, make it so that it's affordable and quick for them to do a turnaround time because 
shipping isn't cheap anymore. I mean, we have a lot of customers that we do with, uh, you know, I mean, we do a lot of PPL super farm stuff. Um, but it, it's hard for these guys to start shipping tires right now, just because freight is so expensive. If they're not in our neck of the woods and it, it's, it's, Unless they're going to go for a cruise to go look at a combine hit or something, it's hard to get these guys around here. But like I always told them, it, it's three hundred dollars to ship your tires here, three hundred to ship them back. That's six hundred bucks. But you give me three runs, and I'll get you that six hundred dollars back easily over what you would have placed going somewhere else on competition wise, just to have how our tires would perform. I know it's six hundred dollars that you could have spent two hundred just going down the road to somebody else, you know, closer to you, but. We'd make that money up just because I feel like we spend so much time and dedication and we go through the tires as good as we possibly can to make sure that we can get you to the top. I can attest for that. So thank you. Yeah. Charles, you haven't yeah, said anything. You, you were finally getting your tires figured out. And uh, that yep. Iowa State Fair Pass that you had going, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> Dad was hooked and rolling wow. that day. So yeah, after Rock and Rally, you run. Different Even you running Rock Valley Friday night was pretty good, too. Yeah. I, I didn't think nobody was going to catch Dave. Yeah. And that's the same thing, too, is, uh, you know, that day we were working on roost tires pretty religiously Friday, um, getting them ready. And I knew that when Dave put that out there, I was like, well, nobody was even getting close. And then all of a sudden you went out there and were two feet away from him and roost come up there and got around him and. That was a pretty good feeling for me that night in that 4-1 class to see you guys go up there and battle out. And then, obviously, the next night, Roos go, I think, 1-2. Uh, and uh, it yep. just – I like that. Like, it shows that your hard work also pays off right in front of the customers like that. And uh, just seeing how they responded to me and how they uh, thanked me, you know, for working on their tractors and their tires that Friday when it was hot and it was in the shop and – I was crabby. I was tired. It's Rock Valley week. There's we're always working way too late, and it uh, that that's the kind of memories that pay me off. But I still think that that pass that you uh, your dad was laying down in Des Moines, I would have loved to seen that thing make a a full pass because I don't know that John Deere out of Minnesota had a hell of a pass, but I would have loved to seen what you could have done there. Yeah, it was uh it was hooked up and going. So it was hooked yeah. up and going. But that's how you learn too. So yep and. You know what? We'll have to try out three or four more sets this year before the season starts off and figure out what we're going to do. So, yeah, got to keep improving. Forward looking yep. forward to it, Ryan. This is where you do. This is where you do what you do. All right, you probably know what's coming, and I may. I don't know if I've asked you this or not, but if you could go and steal the keys to anything and go pulling for a weekend, what would you take? Where would you pull it, and why? And this is a past or present thing. So if you want to go and take, you know, Tim Engler's Mission Impossible, all seven or eight or a dozen engines of it, go for it. Um, what would you take? So the tractor, I would take. <laughs> to tell you the truth right now, probably be scrappy. Just because that thing just, it runs night in and night out. It's fun to watch Doug hop on it and, the control he's got on it. Um, that's probably being a little bit, <laughs> you might say, uh, outlawist, you might say, because he runs with us. But no, no, that's uh, he's what got he's done. Yeah. What he's he done, actually, that, yeah. when he won, I believe it was Moville last year, 
And since then, he has not been beaten. I think it's 15 runs in a row. And on the diesel super stock, I know that he's not running against super top-notch competition with me on the circuit with him all weekend. But just to, <laughs> just to do that um, week in and week out and what he did in the Polar Championship, it's just amazing for it to not break down and how the, the work behind the scenes that he does that to keep it on the track. And then in Wisner, when Dig and Hearts and Matt and stuff show up and they try coming for him and uh, they got close, but uh, keep keep it ahead of them guys in the Polar Championship. That tractor, I, I think right now would be fun to drive. It would. But if it wouldn't be that, I would actually say Mark Almer's Eleanor would be a fun ride too. The, like the ride that it had in Manila that one year. I think yeah. that would be a fun ride too. So. <laughs> Uh, when, when he when, when he parked it in the registration booth yeah. with the girls quite literally yeah. <laughs> yeah that that one always caught my eye once ever, ever since he bought that and uh that thing just when it lights and he drives it just he loads that motor that thing just seems like it'd be a, a fireball to ride fair enough um, now i got another one i got another question for you if you were starting if you were starting a new build a, a clean sheet of paper build tomorrow what would you build for what class would you build it for i didn't say anything about who had to pay the bills or any of that what class would you build for it would probably be a uh a 10-2 pro stock yeah a five, a, a five zero, or I mean, or a, a six, whatever. I'd probably make it so that I could go both ways. Um, I, I mean, we've pulled in the super farm. I've pulled in like open farm and stock and four one and diesel super and that pro stock class would probably be my next class I'd uh, venture on into. Um, and who knows? Maybe it'll happen sooner than later. We'll find out. <laughs> Ooh. And you never told me where you would pull uh, Eleanor. Where would I pull Eleanor? Yeah. If you want to make up and say that they're going to have a special class of, of you know, outlaw cast-ass supers in, in Bowling Green, it's your show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, yeah, I'd probably go there. Um, actually, the... The only other one, I, I always liked uh, Sneaky Snake from Henry Smith, though. For some reason, I always liked that one, too. So that would probably be my next one. Um, Cheers to that. And, and then I'd go to Bowling Green or Tomo with uh, the Sneaky Snake. Yeah. Taylor, who do you um, who's kind of a pulling legend to you still? Like when you talk to them or if they call you, you get a little like, holy cow, I can't believe I'm talking to so-and-so. Um, so yeah, when I first started off, um, obviously, you know, you always heard of Esmond, you know, so when I got a pull against him, that was kind of cool. And then uh, I beat him pretty much just cause he couldn't get off the starting line <laughs> and, uh, um, he was struggling, but, uh, that was always kind of a, um, a fun one to pull against. Uh, the one that calls me, um, you know, we've dealt with Chizik. That was pretty cool. And then, um, you know, just, I, I honestly have a lot of respect for what hearts do. I mean, every time that phone rings and it's Brandon Hart and they're dusting, I'm like, all right, you know, this is going to be a good phone call. You better, depending on what time of the night it is, have an hour to burn. If it's raining, you know, we can sit around and talk till 
12 o'clock at midnight sometimes. Um, I still like them phone calls. Um, trying to think. Um, what's his name? Crazy Canuck. He called me once. Patrice Baudre. So, yeah, some of the names that just all of a sudden are like, hey, this is this. And I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. Like, I can't believe that's cool. right now, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, them are, you know, just some of them guys that you just never think that would call you. And then all of a sudden they call you up and want to do a touch up or something. And um, when I first got started, Elmer Hogg was kind of a big one for me at one point in time, you know, or like, you know, I just figured he was all PPL and stuff. And when I was a kid, you know, the little temptation, big temptation, those were the Kings, you know? And so uh, dealing with him and then working with them guys over the last few years was pretty cool as well too, you know? So, yeah. Um, do you remember the movie major league? Yeah. When the, when they, when they call him, do you want to manage the Indians this year? And he goes, I don't know. I'll call you back. I got, I got a guy on the other line with a set of white walls. I want you to use that next time on Brandon Hart when he calls you, especially, especially if it's after nine, because we all know what that phone call is going to be like. So it's all good. So Yeah. <laughs> I can do that. No, I don't know. I'll call you back. I got a, I got a, I got a guy on the other line looking for some 18 fours, triple cuts or something. Just be funny about it. <laughs> Whatever happened to the triple cut, Charles? I haven't seen a set of triple cuts since like 1997. Lies. No, you're Not right. Oh, Actually, that is that is McCormick. a lie. He, Brian's Brian busted me, and he's correct. And I'm going to tell you who had them. They were on a cock shut. From West Michigan, Rydals ran BFG triple cuts up until about like six years ago in light limited super. So you're absolutely right. That tractor was like time capsule until uh, they rebuilt it. And uh, what's coming next? Oh boy. What about Todd? So we power driven diesel. We have diesel. done a uh... yeah Todd too in uh, at power driven diesel at UCC with some hard as coffin nail. CPEX he found behind some barn in Utah that he found four of them and bolted them up as duels. Yeah, that's that's another set. Yeah, that was the set that I was thinking of, not Rydals. Yeah, uh, Rydals have to figure in there first. Yeah, Sorry. they do. T Todd's, only Todd's, only, Todd's only pulled on those tires like three times, all of them at UCC. So he, uh, he right. gets a discount and Rydall gets to move to the front on that one. Right, because they actually put miles on them. Miles. feet at a time. Miles. We have done a naturally aspirated two-wheel drive with the uh, Pioneer tires and added twice the lugs in there, went in between there, and doubled up the bars on them and uh, <laughs> had very good success with them. So it, it's just crazy what you can do with tires when you start adding more bars to them. Just reminded me of that triple cut. Well, there was just a time triple cuts were everything. So, speaking of the Almers, when's the last time they had lost get out? Uh, I was oh. at a shop with Cody yesterday, and I have a picture of it on my phone in its current state. It's kind of lost in the shop. Um, <laughs> I think I may know the answer to that question. Uh, I think it was Wisner 2019. That was that the last time I saw it. Almers watching. I'd love to see it back out because of what it is. I was I thinking say right, that 2018 or 2019. I couldn't remember which one it was. He said, Dude, I be, say I'd that love to see that one again. It's that one. Everyone knows what my favorite tractor is, but that one is the Xerox copy. And so, oh, yeah. I was going to, 
Yeah, there you I go. Ham. Agree with, I, I think it did pull in the unlimited um, at South Dakota State Fair in Huron. And yeah. I think that's when it had some chassis problems that didn't keep the nose down, if I'm not mistaken. But I know, and it might have even pulled in Grand Island that year in the unlimited supers, too. But I know it did It did pull with the unlimited supers in Huron that year in 2019. I'd love to see it again. I'd, I'll be honest. Well, I've actually, uh, I'd love to see it out again. I've never personally seen it run face-to-face. Whether Almers or in Geisiker when he had it, I don't know that I've ever seen it. Mark, is that picture on your Facebook anywhere? Ham, let me know. I'll be honest, Charles. There was a lot of lot of like just trying to sit there and soak in a lot of the stuff that oh like just walking through the shop. So like I'm sorry I missed the date for you there, my friend. <laughs> no, but he was like, Oh, this is where the workhorse used to sit. And Charles, I mean, it was very, very nostalgic, dude. It would have been worth it to go out there if I could have managed it, but no, I know it's the same. We spent 14 hours on the road in 30 to do it. I mean, we literally left at eight o'clock Saturday morning, got there, and then turned and burned Sunday morning. Got home about seven last night. But boy, Mark, we appreciate that. Had seven hours either side for me to get there, and I would have gladly done it, but yeah, 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 no, 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 it was um, uh, when they get their mini rod done, we're gonna be we get it, we get to unveil it. So cool. pretty excited about that. Yeah, cool cool to hear that, Mark. That's that's awesome. I'd love to see it back out. And hopefully, hopefully, God willing, I'll get an opportunity in 2023 to actually come see it perform in person. That'd be awesome. Taylor, who's the best one of the who are some of the best track readers out there today? And you're and just doesn't have to be a diesel super, just anybody in general that you pay attention to. I would say um Dan Niemeyer, Red Rider, uh, he pulled super fun. That guy could hit a track every day of the week. Yeah, he would never mess up. He was very good. Um, God, I, I just remember watching him do it so many years. And um, that's the one that just really, really popped right off the top of my head. Um, just trying to think of other best track reader that i've seen did you did your dad ever drive the tractors i bet he's driven it the super farm probably three times in his life never hopped on the 401 well we i think we even had a fundraiser that we were going to try raising ten thousand dollars to just go to saint jude's or anything to see if we could just get him to hop on he says ten thousand ain't going to cut it you're going to need more than that the, the bar had to be higher. I mean, he, he just to won't get, do it. Uh, to get him on on the, on the diesel super. one yeah. or on the super? On the diesel super. Uh, ah, okay. So we, we tried, and uh, he says 10000 ain't going to stop it. So um, just trying to think of another good track reader. But the first one that does pop to my head is, is Dan Niemeyer, and I don't know if you guys remember him or not, but – he pulled Super Farm in that Red Rider, and he was always, I mean, he could be under horsepower, and he'd find a way to get there. That's awesome. I'm just, there's a whole bunch of comments all of a sudden. Sorry, give me a second to sift through them here. Charles sent me a picture yep. of some triple cuts. So, Esden Lane, are they talking about Lost right here? Esden Lane drove it? Is that, okay, Esden Lane drove Lost. I'm still Tim Geiser owned it. 
It was the last diesel super to pull the lights. Fact check that part of it. That's somebody on one of the groups. Terry Benson's been watching a lot tonight, so I want to fact check too hard. Um, he's not saying they're not wrong, that they're wrong, but eh, I don't know. Who are you? Who are you thinking? Uh, last diesel. Well, there was a lot of years where Light Super was actually gone from NFMS. But yeah, that's Terry, that's Terry Benson, Charles. I so, jumped on the. I jumped into the group to see who commented. It's Terry Benson. I, I think I'm not. I mean, I know you're kind of like a like a nerd. But. Yeah, but I don't remember. I don't remember Lost and Tim Geisiger's tractor ever being a two bar cage or being. You know, it was always a three bar. And when Digging Fever first came out, the 460 body, it was a two bar and ran light super. So I I'm kind of thinking it was actually that one. I, I might be Louisville? wrong, misremembering, but that's what I remember. At Louisville. I, yeah, I, I could be wrong. We should just have, you know how the NFL has like that guy like, oh, what do you think of this replay? What do you think? Of, we should have Dan Mayer just yeah. <laughs> on right. the other line. Just call him. Dan, we have a we have a question over here on line two. And I there wouldn't even Dan, know somebody right commented something. Like, go yeah. check the entries. I don't know. It was red line fever two. Okay, that's that's Benson. Well, Redline Fever Two was Adrian Lanes, which was a cast MX, also a, always a heavy. Yep. Well, no, you're right. Redline Fever Geisickers was called Redline Fever Two when it came out. Just one more of Barfnick or Phillips when he had a diesel. I'm gonna do some digging. Just gotta see if Charles, I can real quick. It. This is Yantis Yantis tractor. Yeah, he got that from Ivan Carroll. It had triples on it. Those look like, and those look actually a lot like BFGs, what uh, uh, Rydals had on theirs. No, Morgan, you're wrong. Well, Geisiker's tractor was built by Esden as a direct copy. Esden actually never yes, owned it. Yes, it was. Okay. Okay. Sorry, Morgan. Oh, Jeremy. Uh, it was a, and it was a, it was a, the difference was a Redline Fever 2 TOO, and it was a 1086 and not a 1486 like original. So my singer got to run lost a few times. Mark Cam says he's got a picture coming. Look, look what just jumped into my inbox, fellas. It took Mark a minute. He had to sift through 12 years of photos. <laughs> I got pictures of the side shields when I was in the shop on Sunday. Still faster than I would have, let's be honest. Same here. You don't even have your computer on. Taylor, this no, has been I awesome don't. tonight. Thanks for coming on, bud. Yeah, not a problem. This is awesome. Well, it's fun to talk hey. tires. Tires are a big deal now, like you said. How about there, Charles? Taylor, what's your most memorable pass ever on any tractor, period? What's the most? What was the most exciting? <clears throat> Um, my most memorable pass was in Rock Valley, uh, the Memorial Pass. That was the first time I'd have hopped on the tractor after Travis passed away. Ah. Um, we had some t-shirts made and they said in love memory of Travis and Beak. And I don't know if you could have looked in the stands and not seen 80% of the crowd wearing that, that extreme pleasure t-shirt. Uh, it was just, and I, I drove it right out of bounds. I was so emotional, but, uh, they all cheered and I was like 17 at that point in time. That was honestly the the run that probably meant the most to me, because 
I went out of bounds, looked like an idiot, and yet here you look in the stands and everybody's wearing your T-shirt and clapping. Uh, by far the most memorable pass I've ever had. Second would be uh, there was probably, I'd say 2012 in Wisner. Um, I just laid down a pass on the right-hand side of Wisner, and everybody was going to the left, and I just tried the right-hand side. And literally, I, I don't think I could have got as close to the chalk mark as I could have. Like, I, I, I was almost borderline out of bounds and ended up winning it by about 17 foot. And in that class, doesn't happen very often, uh, especially when we were limited to a box charger at that time. It wasn't wide open. So, I mean, if you'd win a pull by five foot at that point in time, you were doing something good and we won it by 17. And that was on Travis's anniversary. And then... I got interviewed by Dave Bennett afterwards and the fireworks and my nephew and family and all that were there. And it was just, that was a pretty cool pass for me at night too. So I would say that was, was that probably a, my second Was one. that a two track show at that point or was that a single track yep. at that point? Nope. That was two track. That was, I was on the uh, left-hand side there. Yep. The announcer side? Okay. Usually, usually everybody would hug that left side on that left track. And I just yep. crossed it right to the center there and hugged that right side. And it, uh, it paid dividends that night. What year did your brother pass away, Taylor? Yeah, what year I, was it? It was 2006. Okay. Well, it's been August 17. Yep. I I uh, I trust uh, Mark's recollection that that um, Redline Fever Two was the last one. But something I want to point out about this that you can see in that photo. If you take away the comment. And I don't know of any other trackers that are built this way. This one and Redline Fever both still have it, where there's an air ride underneath there where it not only encompasses a subframe for the front axle, but it's the ski bars as well. So if you break a spindle and pile the thing in, you still have suspension there. I don't know any other trackers that are built that way. Um, those two are. I don't know if any others are. I guarantee Mark Ulmer's got a smile on his face right now, the size of Nebraska. So I was looking at how close the fender and the tire were. Yeah, it looks looks on the verge of rubbing, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, Mark Mark cuts tires with that tractor every time he makes. <laughs> yeah, we're we're back to tire growth. Just not a, not a <laughs> hey, well, coming full circle here. I'm just saying, like Taylor's Taylor's got some uh, work to cut out to get the groove out of the. Uh, that's probably a new one and get the groove out of the uh, fender cut out. I I've actually got a photo of Jeff Hurt at Monroe, like 2019. He one wheeled it, and the left rear tire grew so much it definitely cut a groove in the left tire. Um, you can see that in the images. Oh, it happened. Well, you mean Monroe, guys Monroe Michigan? We'll yeah, Monroe, Michigan, not Monroe, Wisconsin. Sorry, I, my my head immediately went to Monroe, Wisconsin, and I'm like, did he do that? No. Because I know he's Michigan. been there. These fact-checking things, now everybody's, like, blowing up my phone, text me YouTube links. And yeah, no, it's cool. It's it's awesome. It's hard for me to remember everything. So, like, keeping it consistent is good. And so this yeah. has got to be Terry Benson again. I'll go, he's So when they, you know, because we're always live on a bunch of different pages and the groups, for whatever reason, guys, StreamYards and the groups don't come through with the names. Yeah. So, um, okay. No, it's cool. I, 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 I didn't remember it super well, but um, – yeah, 
It's good. Taylor, good to what do we got going on here? Is this that night? That was the night that we no. That's Rich Rosebone. That's Rock Valley. Okay. Uh, I believe that's Rich in the red shirt there. Um, that was also a fun time back in the day. So uh, in Rock Valley, we used to do a Calcutta, and we'd line up the super farms, and we'd auction them off, and we'd bring them back in for a pull off, and they'd do a uh, a shootout there. That was always pretty fun. That 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 Blake, might be a, Blake Zomer could usually get some pretty good money out of that crowd. Yeah, that was always kind of fun. Uh, I did like that. Especially, I believe this year was the year that Red Rock was in the lead, and I was the last tractor, and I took it right past him. And uh, I was like beating Kurt. So, <laughs> Kurt still hasn't <laughs> forgiven you for that either. <laughs> he says I moved out of the class because uh, I was getting beat by him too much, but I, I begged to differ. So Mark's that's what I Mark remember. Not, not to make fun of Mark or anything, but the last few years in the Diesel Super, I remember seeing a lot of them pitchers. I don't want to see that picture. No. They, uh, I think the funnest year I ever had watching Diesel Super was him and uh, Matt Goodwin going at it. And I think it was in Dunlap, I believe. They both, uh, I think Mark towed his tractor to the starting line or just barely got it started or whatever to budge his sled. They were in such a tight points race. And them two going at it, that was fun to watch. And then, man, them guys at that point in time, they were – they were going at it pretty fun. That was that was fun watching them guys. It's nothing you're doing wrong, Terry Benson. It's Ryan, just... Ryan, I'm gonna I'm gonna re I'm gonna redo my answer. Um, I'll do the stray horse in Rock Valley. That would be oh, the one I would do with it. Dude, <laughs> that's totally acceptable. <laughs> okay, and, and oh. not that the stray horse didn't make good passes in Tolman stuff, but in Rock Valley. It, uh, I believe it just needed, it just needed a little TLC. It was a minor fix, and they brought it into town and country, and them guys worked on it, and they all took part, pictures of it in the shop, and and uh, Randy hit and hopped on that thing, and that stray horse, when it showed up in Rock Valley, I mean, it just laid down some monster, monster passes. That would probably the old 1066. That would be probably one of my rides that I would like to go back and hop on that thing, or if I could do what. Uh, uh, Legacy did that one year in Rock Valley. That would have been pretty fun, too. Well, look what I just found on the YouTube, fellas. That's Fred Petch announcing. And then this is yep. 2009. Yep. Well, that's the old one, obviously. Look at the background. One bad apple back there. The top three. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, this is International Sheet Metal, that white color. Yes, remember, too, of the five-man tractor that comes off the assembly line from International, International Motors, International Area, and the world-famous tractor called Strayhorn! Uh, he was walking the dog. 
Okay, I didn't find one of the monster passes. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but I'll keep looking. Who was it about the back back in that time frame? You know, the the Esden Lane style turbo four charger setup where you just you hear that RPM scream and then nothing but whoosh after that. Almer, where you at? Just it was indelible for me, you know, growing up in that era. Oh, so Vasky must be he's filming from a tree here, guys. In this yeah, I was gonna say what's that maple leaf going on? Oh, you got hey, one video in the background again. Um Chance Encounters back in Iowa, fellers. I confirmed it at the bar at 1:30 a.m. Sunday morning. So that's news to me. Yep. Doug, what do you know? No, the demon's been back for a while. It, it, we, somebody was talking about it. It's south of Des Moines, but I've, nobody knows who has it. I've been talking about it. I've been trying to figure it out. Nobody will cough up information. <laughs> yeah, my sir, my singer wanted to talk about it. We tried pimping him. So, my singer, I will find you at the banquet. Taylor, do you know if Square the Screaming Demon is in Iowa? <laughs> I do not. I'm still wanting to know who bought Chance and Connor. Uh, Eugene Williams. Oh, really? They got I don't know it? if I'm supposed to say it, but I just said it. <laughs> Cat's out of the bag now. Yeah. Thank Good. the Lord it's back in Iowa and out of, where was it? Gaten Yell's Superstop Collection. Not going to lie, thank the Lord it's back. That that was a pretty tractor. Very pretty. Yep. Yes, it was. <clears throat> Taylor? You've been a great guest yep. tonight, buddy. Yeah. No, it's fun, guys. <laughs> Hour 54. <laughs> oh, I just looked at the timer. Wow. <laughs> this one time we all said we're going to do this in one hour, and then I think that lasted one week. So. Uh, that's all right. Yep. No, it was yep. a fun night, guys. I really appreciate it. No, it was educational. Um, if any of you need take tires, rims, call Taylor. His number's been scrolling across the bottom. You don't have to buy a new set. Just tell them what you're looking for, and Taylor will try to find them. So, you thank bet. you, sir. We got a set of 12 by hole shots that uh, are coming in used off Jason's because we got to do some testing. So, yep. Anybody looking for a good set of 12 by hole shots? They are available. <laughs> I'll tell you the exact uh, air air pressure to put them at too, because I finally figured it out. <laughs> Jason, um, how many passes did you have hey, on those tra- no, on those tires? Twenty-eight or twenty-nine, I think, or maybe thirty hooks we made this year with them. I think that's so they still got plenty of life left in them. Oh, a lot of life, a lot of life. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. No smoking, Taylor. My singer just commented. Hey, I've got a vape. Doug should be proud. I haven't uh, 
I I quit smoking. Although I don't know if this is I don't know. They might some people say it's smoking, but Uncle Buck when he was I quit smoking for Doug. I remember that Uncle Buck. I quit smoking just for Doug. Yeah. I told Doug that uh, I'd quit smoking the day I beat him, and I just figured nah, that's never gonna happen. So I just stopped. <laughs> 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 Taylor, you've been That'd awesome, be buddy. Have a have a great night. All right, sounds good. Thanks, guys. See you, buddy. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you at the banquet. Taylor Van Beek from Rock Valley, Iowa. Extreme performance and tire cutting. Also your Kaiser Rim guy. Um, got hook you up with everything you need there. So seriously, any pullers, if you're just wanting to talk to somebody that knows tires, you you heard the knowledge the guy has in the last two hours. When Charles went all mad scientist on us, is our they all that's where we just I should have just pulled us off the screen like I did last week when Bruce and uh, Brent Payne started talking about bourbon. So it's all good. It's all good in the hood. So Doug Meisinger's happy. Yeah, Thursday night, Charles and Wyatt Schulte and uh, Doug Meisinger are going to do uh, top 10 pro diesel supers power rankings. Uh, Travis Schlaubaugh has been invited to that as well. I, have not, I don't know if he saw his Facebook message yet, but that'll be fun. I think Shane Hunt's coming on as well that night with Charles. So... I really appreciate you doing the power rankings, Charles. That's it's been fun. And Tavin Tyler Slaw on when we didn't put him in the opening video, and he said, "Ah, I wouldn't even put myself in the top ten. That made me well, feel so much better." It's what happens when you crash out of the season? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a power ranking, not a popularity contest. Sorry. Well, it's it's a truth. Truth. Yeah, I forgot to tell Chandler that we're having Tyler on, so I had to run Courtney down to get Tyler on because he was so busy working, and. Um, but, it, but there's it a lot of helps. bottle caps to get screwed down. So, I mean, he's busy. Right. It happens. It happens. Well, guys, I got to tell you about my weekend in Menno. Um, it was awesome. And Cody was there as well. Um, we, we rolled out of Richland Center about 8, 830, because I'm always right on time. And uh, stopped at a little antique store in Davis, uh, Nebraska, South Dakota. And I bought a megaphone. Charles? I really Good. Like That's the top oh, of things Jason doesn't need. Right? I really want to know, like, what made you stop at an antique store? So we're driving through Davis. I look up, and there's this old-ass water tower, Cody, like, from 1920s, right? It's still working. You thought so. you were going to buy that? No, no, no. Um, I just wanted to – I wanted to get – I thought it would be cool content. So we whip around, and this guy comes out of this antique store. He goes, are you guys in a treasure hunt or something? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then Hope, Doug, and I, and Kenzie were in the car. And he's like, oh, everybody's been stopping today and, like, just taking pictures. So he invites us inside. And, yeah, so I got a megaphone from Freeman High School in Freeman, South Dakota. And then I got every, I got Esden Lane's signature out here somewhere. So a lot of lot, – everybody that was at the party um, – not everybody, but I got most of the signatures from everybody. So, But I got to meet Bill Webb. I didn't know all the history of him and Esden. And then Tim, oh shoot, the guy with the they sold his diesel super stock to uh, Demars. Uh, guy, is it Geisler? Tim Geisler? No, shoot, no, 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 no. no. Man, Borth, Borth, are you still watching? Um, man, Charles, 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 JD, Terry Benson, help him out. You probably know the answer to this. Tom Gillis. Tom Gillis. Tom Gillis was there, so that was fun. Thank you, Borth. Thank you, Omer. So. Anyway, so uh, the bar was jumping. The Beer Garden 2, owned by uh, Doug Huber, 
there in Menno. Um, great guy. I, I really got to know Doug. I talked to Doug a lot that night as well, the owner. And um, we gave we just sat Mark down in front of the whole bar about five o'clock and uh, just gave him a microphone and just started asking questions. And about he went a good 30 minutes and then Esden sat down next to him. And I think I post that picture on my Facebook page. And just to listen to those two go back and forth, there's so many. Well, we were sitting there drinking beer on a Thursday because the poll didn't start till Friday. I mean, he was telling stories about people in Alabama and cops coming up and open open containers. And I mean, it was just awesome. <laughs> or D Dave, Dave Huber. Thank you, Mark. Dave Huber as, as the owner of the beer garden, too. But it was we, we recorded it. We'll get it posted. Um, uh, Mark Omer's favorite thing to say was it shit the rods. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. <laughs> he said it shit the rods so many times. Uh, yes, Shane Hunt. This was videoed. This was videoed. And we just had a blast. It was so it was so surreal. It was like a legit, like power hour. And, um, and as did those guys had, they had went super hard Friday night. So they were a little tame Saturday. <laughs> and, uh, it was just, it was a hoot. It was an absolute hoot. Then there was hundreds of people there, right? Cody, there was two to 300 people there. Easy. It was packed. It was, it was wild. And, so and the, the worst problem was like, it wasn't like the bars were like spread out. Like you walked through the back door of the kitchen of the one <laughs> through the alley and that's the, the back door to the other bar so it was like you just kind of meander from one to the next and yeah. it was it was great so they had um, a bunch of food set up over at roosters and then uh we went then they had karaoke back over at um at, at the beer garden too and then that one oh so god you didn't sing did you a bar, called, a yeah. bar called yeah. roosters but was the rooster there no so truth is danny dean called Mark and something happened with the flights and Omer's watching. Uh, but like, here's everybody's wow, talking. That Omer. could have been epic. That would have been epic. Omer, Omer just kept looking at his phone, like so. Like you know, Tom Dickerson wished him happy birthday. You know, Brayback, uh, Shramming. I mean, it was you guys. It was like legit. Like our did the rooster and Tom Dickerson in the room? No, no, no. Dick, if, no Dickerson just no, no on the phone but, on the phone. But it was so cool. Anyway, was just cool. yeah, that would have been that would have been something. How old is Danny Dean now? Oh, shoot, seventy something, I think. Mark just Mark Mark turns sixty five on October twenty sixth. He's right That's in there. Number. He's right in there. He's not much more than seventy. Okay. But it was um awesome. Then we got to go to the shop uh, Sunday morning, um, so that it was it was great. It was great. And he still has the original shop. Attached to his bigger shop that where that his dad started and I mean where they had the, the workhorse where the workhorse became the workhorse in there. So it was awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So that was cool. That was cool. Uh, like, Rooster was on his way, but his flight got canceled. Okay. That's what Omer said. So that would have been pretty pretty epic. Yes. That's so much crap that Airlines can do that. I'm, I mean, I'm sure I don't know all of it, but I paid the money for a ticket. I signed a contract. Yep. Contract is between two entities. Freaking deal with it and fly me to where I need to go. Yeah, right. I don't understand why they can cancel like that. Hey. I mean, if we're gonna get really into it, I, why can why can China cancel a full ship worth of agriculture goods 
and then buy it for pennies on the dollar, but we're not going to get into that. But yeah. Right. You opened a whole nother can of worms, my friend. Yeah, I know. Well, we're going to find out in three weeks because I'm flying to my next gig. You know, I, I, it's too far to drive. So I'm rolling out Where's to Fresno, California Thursday morning. So I hope that the, the flight doesn't get canceled. That would suck. So. Charles, what's your next gig? King of the, well, Ultra Challenge out in Delaware. I'm going to fly into D.C. I'm, I've already decided I'm not driving. Uh, I'm going to fly. So hopefully I don't get boned. We'll find out. What's it called? All Truck Challenge? Yeah, it used to be King of the Streets. that was here in Ohio, and, and she moved it back to the East Coast. And So I'm going to go out there for that deal. Um, this is one of Katie's deals, right? Uh, no. Um, Sarah Chapman. Smoking Speed. Sorry. Yes. Sarah, don't hit me for that. Katie, you either. Yeah, that'll be that'll be in three weeks. And Delaware, outside of the New England states, the five New England states, Delaware is the only state east of the Mississippi I have not been to because I've never had a reason. But I've got one now, so I'm going to go. <laughs> I got one now. I suppose while you're there, you can incorporate too. And then. Yeah, that's the other end of the state that all happens the north end i'm going to be literally on the border the southern border with maryland freaking mail it in that's all any of them do anyway bingo Get, give me a p.o box that's like our that's like my neighbors to the the northwest they they have a, a p.o box in south dakota and Somebody's job is legit just to forward mail that. Yeah, I don't I don't need to go spending that much time or money on being incorporated. Depends on how much you could save on the other end. Right. Been there done that, not enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so I'm buzzing out to uh Madeira, California this weekend for the grant or the Golden State Invitational Friday and Saturday. I get to see John Bohr and Britschke and everybody. Massetti's are having me out, so that's going to be fun. Kenzie Chandler and the team are going down to Lufkin, Texas, for drag, dragon and or pulling and dragon and pulling, pulling in the pines. Yep, Lufkin, Texas. So they're taking off Wednesday for that. So that's going to be exciting for them. So it's kind of like an on-away speedway type of thing with pulling at the end of the night. Charles, is that the safest way to say that, bud? More or less, yeah. They won't have the uphill aspect of it, but they're going to try to do, my understanding, they're going to try to do the same thing. It's going to be, you know, bobtail and loaded semi-racing, and then they'll have a, a sled pull component to it. And uh, I'm I'm hearing a lot of guys are going to go down there, even from Canada. So yeah, you're going to see some legit iron turnout for that deal. Mario headed down there? I don't know if Mario's going to make it with uh, the Beast. I don't know that. I Let me check. Ryan, do you got anything saved up for us tonight? <laughs> I mean, I suppose we could we could take two minutes and just bag on the Appalachian Outlaws for being a bunch of douchebags that don't follow safety. Does that work? I mean, I, I could repeat it for another, you know, 15 times to make up two minutes, but I think I said my piece. I don't disagree. I think you did well. I don't think Mario's going. He's moving into a new shop right now. I think uh, that's going to be off the table for him. I guess they still have the Iowa State mini truck and tractor pull at the farm show in Dyersville. Okay. Chandler's going to that. When, so 
Roos and Cody will be at Diesel's and Dark Corners um, that weekend with uh, with Doug and Kenzie. But I know Chandler's staying back to go to this thing in Dyersville, so that's cool. Mark Ulmer, you are a freaking legend. Just I, and you're a good dude. There's just not another way to say it. Charles, you would you would never leave a shop. You'd be like, just give me a bed and yep. Yes. It's, it's uh, just listen to him talk. Just listen to him talk. Him and, Tyler, scientist him and, and uh, Tyler both, though. Like, yeah. So I, I got there before you were, and like Tyler is going through all this stuff, and it's like, holy shit. Like, you know, it's legit. I don't know. Yeah. No, Tyler's, uh, Tyler is suck, absorbing as much as he can from yeah. his dad, and that's awesome. That is awesome. Um, what did I? Oh, so I wanted to show you guys this. This is more for my buddy Roos than anybody because he's a farmer. Well, Cody, you too. Because like all that farm stuff. Danny Schmucker had this on his Facebook page. And Did I you show it. me a picture of that Mac? Oh, no, it wasn't the Mac. Perfect. The old 3020. <laughs> nice. So perfect fall day to see. I just thought I just thought of Roos right away when I saw that. I got all tractor zoom dorkied out there. So that was cool. Go back to uh, Danny's page. You might see a picture of a beautiful day cab superliner oh that was uh on a hopper bottom this past weekend mm. while he's doing that you'll laugh but we have a uh a family farmall super c and i bought a van brunt rope trip grain drill so Did you we, really oh yeah i mean years ago and uh um so i bought that wait so we could you like, told me you told me about this didn't you yeah yeah so okay. like uh i bought that so we could see some like oats and and brome grass you know where the cows have been and stuff like that and uh th my favorite part was like it's a rope trip and like you have to work and a farm super c does not have power steering and so i'm like pulling this thing and like turning and i was like i was worn out and dad goes, why are you tripping it all the time? We used to just like set it down and drive around in circles. I was like, I come from the precision. Like, I don't want like perfect shutoffs. And he's like, it's your own fault. So, yeah. Bruce, I'm not seeing. Your front or wide front? Uh, actually, we have both. It has the wide front on it, but we have a narrow front. It's got, we've got a two bottom. It's a two point. Um, we have a two bottom plow six foot blade and we have a two point post hole digger which i'd never seen before and it's got like multiple sections and i've i've never put it on but i've always been curious because i mean it stands like seven foot tall the way it is and i don't think the two point raises that high but it's got sections in it so it's almost like you dig down and then put another section and keep digging down and then like reverse to pull it back out to clean out seems like way more work than i ever want to go through but <laughs> I always wanted to replace my TO20 with a, a Super C as my brush hog tractor. I I looked at belly belly mowers, like the Woods belly mowers. But my God, if you look at like the used ones, they still want like $4,500 for a used belly mower. And it's like, that wasn't even, you couldn't even buy that new. I mean, like you're spending double what it was new for that cost. But I don't know. 
it, it's just kind of cool because my great great grandpa bought that new uh in the local town it's just kind of trickled down through family and uh so i learned something new on the part of an ih i don't know this is before my time but it so it's still got the generator and we replaced the battery and learned something new like you have to and i think it's i'd have to go back and look i screenshot it but like you have to take the negative side and touch the rail to ground it because it won't charge and you have to i don't know it was a deal yeah the reverse know. polarity you're right yep but you have to actually so like it wouldn't stay running i was like you can charge that thing and it's ready to go and i make it 100 feet and i'm dragging it back with a four-wheeler because it just died and they're like oh did you like ground it out or whatever and i'm like what and they said yeah you have to like because i didn't know if it was the relay or you know if it's the generator that's bad and they said you got to ground it out and i had no idea so but uh yeah so but yeah so that was i do i do have an old school cool picture like that but works the 806 works way better for that <laughs> still, i still want to put a hydraulic cylinder in there because like you still have to pull hard on the rope type of thing and it's like I don't know. It's not like a big open, open pasture type of thing. It's a small oddball shape here and there. So yeah, I got to the point where you just like leave it in the ground. Well, fellas, unless you got much left, let's, uh, let's go to bed. Yep. Good call. Bruce, you good? I will say, I will say this. If you want, um, Old school cool, but with more horsepower than uh, Cody's Super C. Um, Blake Zomer is selling a uh, Farmall A at auction tomorrow that has a hair dryer on it, which I thought was kind of cool. I saw that and yeah. thought, you know what? Tractor Zoom people would love that. So if you want an oddball Farmall A with a hair dryer on it, you can find it at Tractor Zoom. That was cool. Must be a home build because M and A M and W didn't do one for the A, did they? Nope. No. Yeah. And it looks and it actually looks like it's a reasonably good sized hair dryer. I mean, it would look like the one. It would make the one that's in our cars look like a freaking I don't know marble. That's saying something because. I mean, I mean, they're not you can big. Go out, they're you can go tiny. out and take a look at it. Look at the housing. You can tell me what size you think it is. I have no idea. But it was. It was. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, fellas, I'm gonna crank some videos and head, turn it off. So, thank you for another great show. Peace out, everybody. Later on. See you guys. See ya. You see that box? Gotta make sure I turn the sound on for you guys. Give me a second here. I'm gonna play some videos from our YouTube channel. I think I am. Have a good night. Thanks for watching. Ah. Three oh six point five nine five for getting round three oh six point five nine five.
Wisconsin for the Cheese Fest and we are tractor pulling.
Injection pump split all the way horizontally. This is all loose. Blew a hole in right there. The pump stuck, and then we blew the turbo after that. I'm gonna get up to that. I gotta see what the turbo looks like. Come around the front and see if the propeller is gone. There's a, there's a hole in the nose and the cone right here. Top. We got a nice dent in the charge pipe over here as well. I'll come over and get that. This is all separated. You come over and get that side. Put the cast part. Dent there. She split. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the 35th Annual National Outdoor Truck and Tractor Pulling Championships in Bowling Green, Ohio. We're ready to go into the 3,000 horsepower unlimited super stocks here tonight. And coming up next, out of St. Hyacinth, Quebec, Canada, the test puller out of the gate here in the heavy super stocks tonight is Patrice Boudre. That crazy Canuck, the Case IH 7240. Three chargers on this alcohol burning super stock out of Quebec. 436 cubic inch block, making better than 3,000 horsepower. Now, Patrice is the test puller. 
Patrice and only he will have the option of taking the pole or dropping down six positions in the class if he does not like his pole. Once the class is set, it's run with the crowd, and you better brought enough to the crack of the National Tractor Point Championships here in Bowling Green. Now, Patrice will have to make that decision. Obviously, not the run he wanted by any way, shape, or form. Patrice, only a hook of 228.4. You going to take that? Yeah, I'm going to take that. We've been having a lot of problem lately. And uh, for once, it made a complete pass. It's, I think it's way fast. We're going to look at it. And hopefully, be back tomorrow with another run. Up next here in the Unlimited Super Sox tonight out of Door, Michigan, the brand new John Deere, the 9200, taking care of business of Joe Kwiatkowski. Joe running not one, but two of the high-powered Super Stocks here in the Unlimited Division here at Bowling Green this year. Three-charger setup on the 466 cubic inch block for Joe. Joe, a farmer by trade, a farmer about 6,000 acres of crop ground up in the Door, Michigan area, just south of Grand Rapids. Uh, a tractor called Taken Care of Business. Next one up here at Bowling Green. Arnie, 278-6. That's the lead right now. You think it's going to hold up? Well, honestly, I'd have to say probably no way i think the you know the first first run i think i you know i should have probably had a little more weight off off the front end and um you know it's more of a test pass and i i don't know i there's a lot of good trackers here tonight so i hope it holds up but there's, there's a lot to come back and up next here in the unlimited super stocks tonight out of Elmont, michigan that tractor called mining for dollars of ken measles Ken graduated into the alcohol burners from the smoker division several years ago and has done very, very well for himself. He's done very, very well for himself. This case, I age uh, body machine, the 7250 three charger setup, capable of building 3,000 horsepower out of the 436 cubic inch block. Ken will be the next one up, chasing that mark of 278 and some change. As the green light, the green flag, and Beasel, tough fighting for dollars. Ken Diesel, the leaderboard says 291 and 7, and you own it right now. You lined up on the left hand side of the track. Did you see something out here earlier today? Oh, I just tried to get out of the track ahead of me. Track was all tried to get a good smooth takeoff. You know what? It was a nice run. It's one of the 